Welcome, beautiful people to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news from the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. Now, today's show is all about NFTs, pretty much in relation to gaming itself, because this is a gaming podcast, but also as a way to kind of try to educate people a little bit more on exactly what the hell are NFTs and why is everybody talking about it. First of all, I, I, I hope my audio is clear. I'm going to try to clean up later. Of course, at this moment of all times, there's a, a, a person right in front of my window uh, with a leaf blower. So uh, hopefully everyone can hear everything that I'm about to say. But, um, you know, I have a lot of stuff written down in front of me. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to get right into it. First and foremost, this entire situation is overwhelming. Like the tech is moving at such a fast speed because of the fact that a lot of contributors in the space believe in open source, meaning that if I find a better way to do things, if I discover something new in relation to this technology, blockchain, crypto, whatever, it's open source. Anybody else can build off of what me and my team built. And it's why this space is just moving so fast and i feel like i just started researching and kind of getting into it a little bit earlier this year and it it, it feels like five years have passed in the, the same time frame of, as just a, a few months so i wrote down a bunch of uh, ideas that uh, i'm going to try to shoot at you guys as best as i can and what i want to try to explain is I'm going to do my best to explain the environmental issue, try to explain why humans value digital items the same as physical items, because I feel like that's a big chunk of um, the kind of confusion. And just give you some general ideas of ways that this could possibly implement, be implemented into um, gaming. Now, I've said before in the show, I consider myself an NFT enthusiast, more so the blockchain than anything. And I like to say that this is how I am just in my life in general. I never put my feet in concrete on something. Like I always believe in being open-minded, two sides of every coin in order to get the full story. It's just how I've always lived my life. And I, I like to say that I'm sitting on the fence. One side is pro NFT. The other side is anti NFT. I'm sitting on this fence, but primarily I'm, focusing on the pro nft side but you know my ears are open on the anti nft side because it's the only way that you can form your own decision is to be able to you know listen to both sides and i'm hoping that a lot of people take that away from this episode where this is an episode i'm trying to convince you guys that nfts are amazing go tell your friends and family blockchain is perfect i think my goal with this episode is more to hopefully open more people's minds to just listen a little bit more and not kind of form an opinion based upon someone else's opinion, not even my own. <laughs> I don't want anyone to share this episode and say, hey, Joel actually brings up a lot of good points about NFT and blockchain. It's more like, I, I hear what Joel said, let me do my own research or form my own opinion. That's what I'm hoping people take away from this. So real quick, NFT stand for non-fungible tokens. Um, paper money would be a form of something that's fungible, swappable, but retaining the same value. So if I have a 20, and you give me two tens. We both walked away with the same exact value. 
the easiest way that I have heard in terms of trying to explain to easily explain this is uh, change the word fungible to replaceable. You have uh, replaceable and non-replaceable. And this can be attached to a lot of different things. It's not just items, you know, or excuse me. It's not um, just items that you might think are some items that you think are fungible are actually non-fungible. Non-fungible is like a, um, a one of one is usually how some people like to put it. A home, for example, will be non-fungible. Even if our two homes are right next to each other, we can't just swap keys. Our homes have differing values. Emotional value can also make something non-fungible, a.k.a. non-replaceable. So if you've had um, a knife that has been passed down from your great-great-grandmother to your great-grandmother to your grandmother to your mother, and then they finally pass it down to you, I can't replace that knife easily, right? If it breaks or for whatever is not cutting as well as it used to, you're going to find a way to get it back to a way that you can use it. But it still it holds so much emotional value. Even if I found the original manufacturer and they were still making the same exact knife, I can't replace it because I can't replace the emotional value that that knife holds. That makes it non-replaceable. So you can kind of use these terms in, in many different ways. NFTs and gaming right now feel very pro versus anti, but I personally feel that an overwhelming amount of anti-NFT stances are a product of either misinformation or old information. And um, a lot of gamer stances are on NFTs that I've noticed, especially on, on, on Twitter when I see conversations, they seem to just be a result of social media algorithms and the echo chambers they produce, which is that Social media by design is designed to make you feel comfortable, right? So if you don't follow or interact with blockchain enthusiasts, you are going to feel like the, the world is inherently on, on your side. Blockchain is just evil, top to bottom, horrible. Everything about it is bad. There's not one redeeming quality. Uh, the, the algorithms in social media are designed in a way that you are sitting at a table with everybody who hates NFTs. And it's like, even I, I step forward and I say, hey guys, you know, let's keep an open mind. Let me tell you about some of the ways that's actually not, might not be as bad as you think it is. It's like the social, <laughs> social media kicks me out the building. It won't even let me in the building to give you that comment. That's how we live in a world where people live in two completely different realities. That's why what was it like? I think that was in like in Dallas. There was like 200 people waiting for JFK Jr. to come back from the dead and announce he's Trump's vice president. How does that happen? It's because everyone's sitting at the same table telling you that this is going to happen. You're not uh, given a chance to hear another side. So definitely always look at the two sides of the coin. Um, and as I said, a majority of news is filtered through a person. And that person won't usually give you both sides of the story. Just the one they believe is correct. Uh, which is why it's important to do your own research and have your own independent thoughts. This is why you keep hearing that blockchains are bad for the environment, even though it is actually predominantly false and ignores the root of the issue. So I want to start off by talking about um, the environmental impact because that's a huge one. I'm not going to sit here and say, nope, this doesn't have any environmental impact at all. That will be false. I'm here more to talk about we have to look at this situation from another perspective, and I'm hoping that I can kind of get that across. So 
a lot of people like to say that blockchain technology will destroy the planet. Um, it's just not true. I don't think it's really that black and white. I don't think that's really the right way to look at it. Um, you know, the concept of blockchain being bad for the environment is, in my opinion, a direct result of information being, you know, filtered through someone's perspective and their bias and their pessimistic way, I guess, of looking at it and its ability to manipulate facts. So if I believe that blockchain is horrible for the environment and I want to stick with that, no matter how many updates, no matter how many changes to the tech arrive, what I'm going to do is I'm only going to feed you the facts to support my argument and in an effort to convince you that this is absolutely awful for the planet. The planet is going to be lit on fire because of blockchains alone, right? Or it's going to vastly accelerate the deterioration of the earth. I'm not going to tell you about any sorts of innovations. I'm not going to tell you about um, uh, carbon offset because this because the blockchain will replace all of these servers and what they do, right? That's why I feel like it's not that black and white um, to look into in terms of the environmental impact. And I think that you can say that and feel that way without inherently sticking to one side. That's why I can sit here and say, yeah, it's if if someone that's a, that talks to you about NFCs and blockchain says, oh no, this is this is not bad for the environment. They're wrong. It's just, it's just, it's just, they're just, they're just wrong, you know? <laughs> um, it, it does have an impact on the environment in terms of when you look at the amount of energy it uses to keep it running. Now, while Bitcoin and Ethereum are horrible for the environment, blockchains are not created equal. So Bitcoin has been referred to as digital gold due to a scarcity. Ethereum's claim to fame was the introduction of smart contracts and what are called decentralized apps, apps built on top of chains that can, um, uh, I'm finishing my sentence, but that's exactly what I wrote. That can be built on chain. Um, both of these work on a proof of work. They're basically, I look at them as they're essentially blockchain 1.0. And the 1.0 of anything is just never perfect, right? If you look at the first car ever built, it's way more horrible for the environment than the cars built now. But we can all still agree that cars at scale are not super great for the environment, but a lot of people will defend their use of the car. The solution has been trending towards, you know, renewable and cleaner sources of energy to the point that at some point, 2042, you'll walk into a dealership and every single car is going to be electric. It seems like that's where we're trending, right? So it's not like we said cars are bad forever. Let's just shut it down. As time went on, as technology got better, it got cleaner and cleaner and cleaner and cleaner. A lot of people, you know, the building of walking spaces, public transportation, people being more cognizant of it, choosing bikes over cars for certain trips, all that stuff added up, but it got better over time, right? Um, Ethereum is also what you've probably heard of gas. It's also calculated as GWEI, G-W-E-I, which stands for GigaWay. Uh, a way is the smallest unit of Ether, and I believe GigaWay is a million way. I think it might be a million or a billion. I can't 100% remember. Um, it's basically like cents to a dollar, I guess, is probably one way to sort of look at it. And one of the questions I got to ask is, what is gas? And gas is, in layman's term, it's a fee you pay to miners to process your transaction. Um, the blockchain is a public immutable ledger. And the advantage that it has over the private ledgers that we have now is that it is trustless. 
meaning that there's not an entity in the middle that is executing the ledger. It's 100% built upon uh, computational power from top to bottom, front end to back end. Um, there's no inherent company in the middle. It's just a bunch of computers solving a bunch of computational equations in order to validate a new block, a new entry into the ledger. Uh, the way that these miners get paid is that for Ethereum, for example, they get paid in gas, meaning that Every time I, I want to make a move that involves Ethereum, I have to pay a gas fee. And that gas fee is paid to the miners that are running these machines that are calculating, uh, that are cr solving the equations and the calculations that are humanly impossible um, to verify that this NFT now belongs to this person. This amount of money went from this wallet to that wallet, for example. Um, one way that I like to talk about gas fees is think about it in a physical sense. And I wrote down here, it's like 10,000 people are in line to buy a TV on Black Friday. When the door opens, obviously everyone rushes to try to get one of those 10,000 TVs. Um, but it's like, as soon as the door opened, there's an employee that tells you, hey, for a hundred bucks, I'll take you to this back entrance that can get you to the front of the register faster. But then there's another person that says, well, for $300, I can get you to an even more efficient <laughs> secret passage to get you to the register faster. That's how you get what's, what are called gas wars. It's why Ethereum sucks. It's why I personally hate Ethereum. Ethereum and Bitcoin are horrible for the environment. Um, and it, they're at the point where they're too big to be shut down. Point blank period, no one can defend how bad Bitcoin and Ethereum these 1.0 versions of blockchains are to the environment. They're, they're not good. And um, that's when you enter into gas wars. Gas wars increases my opportunity to be able to mint and acquire an NFT before anyone else because I'm paying more. So I'm basically telling the mining equipment, skip me in the line. Uh, and this was initially introduced to try to, so people wouldn't overwhelm the system. But you can see how it adds up and piles up. If the network is, you know, really congested, gas can be like three times what your the transaction is actually supposed to be. It takes a lot of time because of it. Um, so that's essentially what, what gas is. Now, another thing is proof of work versus proof of stake is probably something that maybe you heard about. I can't go into details exactly into what proof of work is versus what proof of stake it takes a lot of time. I would suggest just going on YouTube and reviewing what is proof of work versus proof of stake. The um, biggest thing is that proof of stake uses 99.95%. It has a 99.95% uh, less of an impact or uses 99.95% less energy than the same exact tax on a proof of work network such as Bitcoin and Ethereum. Quick way to put it, proof of work involves a lot of machines trying to solve a lot of complicated uh, equations in order to uh, write a new block to the chain. Proof of stake is more about individual um, holders holding tokens and staking them in order to have a proof on a node to confirm a new entry into the ledger. As I said, I, I don't, I'm not going to be able to explain it better than watching a dedicated video, so please go watch it. 
But on the surface, it's way more energy efficient, nine, almost 100% more efficient than proof of work. And that's important. The other thing to remember is that energy consumption will only lessen, not grow. That's why I love to use the concept of a car. A car, when it was bur first bur um, built and introduced in like the 60s, was way more energy intensive and bad for the planet than the car in the 1970s. Then we had hybrid. Then here comes Tesla with the electric car revolution. Now, all these cars are way cleaner than the ones that came before them. So a lot of people are judging the impact that blockchains are having on the environment in the year 2022, um, which is kind of, I, I don't think like it's a good way to look at it, to, to basically deny technology, deny potential because of the current way it's built as if it's never going to go through an evolution. It, it just doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is the carbon offset that is created by decentralized finance. This year, we got the anti-blockchain bullet point of 2021. Cambridge researchers say Bitcoin consumes around 121.36 terawatt hours of energy annually, the equivalent of the country of Argentina for an entire year. Um, and that sounds like super bad when you first hear about it. It sounds awful. But Bitcoin's blockchain's biggest disruption is banks and financial institutions that act as a middleman to process and verify transactions. According to a Nasdaq report via Galaxy Digital Research, Bitcoin consumers, excuse me, Bitcoin consumed 113.89 terawatt hours per year, while banks consumed 236.72 per year, and the gold industry consumed around 240.61. Which meant in a calendar year, Bitcoin uses 50% less energy than the entire banking system or 100% less energy than both combined. Now, proof of stake, once again, uses 99.95% less power than proof of work. Theoretically, how big of an offset would that be compared to the current banking system that we have? Over time, even at scale, you have to understand what we are replacing with decentralized finance versus a centralized version of finance where we rely on banks in the middle, payment processing, for example. All that stuff runs on electricity. All of that, you know, all that stuff requires data servers around the world. So it's not like the way that we're doing it right now is like the most supremely energy efficient way <laughs> of making this happen. So I'm explaining it in like a very simple, like, hey, if everything goes correct kind of way, but once again, it's this this is more of a conversation of this is not as devastating as I feel like people want it to be or make it out to be. The other thing is that the benefits of decentralized finance may not seem special to us in the US. The fact that my finance can be decentralized, I have greater control over my money, there is no bank in the middle. Um, but in the United States, we're a little bit spoiled when it comes to these types of systems. Because a lot of people in America think that the world revolves around them and the introduction of a blockchain and a public ledger that leads to decentralized finance. I'm repeating that word a lot. That's another word you guys should look up, decentralized finance. Go find out what that is because they'll be able to um, uh, explain it way better than I can and why you should be um, looking forward to a future like that. A lot of people forget about countries like Venezuela where you can basically use the paper money as toilet paper, I believe is Venezuela. And a lot of these other countries in the world where um, the government and, and uh, the country can essentially freeze your assets. Can't do that on a blockchain, right? Can't do that with crypto. So the positive impact of this replacing the current banking system, the system of having um, your finance decentralized, 
um, is a net benefit for millions of people around the world. You can't think as small as the United States. Um, I think that it is, it's hard to think of a future without banks, but people forget we once lived in a world where peer-to-peer -peer transactions were predominantly independently verified by payer and payee, and it's called cash. That was one form of, I guess, uh, verification that kind of still goes on to this day, right? I want to buy a can of Coke. The, 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 the payee tells me this can of Coke is worth $1. I hand them that $1. They verify that was $1. They put it into their till. Maybe they give me a receipt for a proof of purchase, and then I walk away with my Coke. There's no one in the middle, right? In 1958, American Express launched a credit card made of cardboard. Plastic came a year later, but it wasn't until 2015 through 2019 that credit debit card transactions exceeded cash. So it shows you how long it took for essentially what we consider plastic money because of credit cards to overtake paper, cash, and coins, right? Think of um, how uh, our current system works if you go to your local coffee shop. If you go to your local coffee shop, and I, I, honestly, I'm surprised to find out that a lot of people don't know this. A lot of people <laughs> that I've spoken to don't know that a business has to pay a fee to process credit cards, which is why a lot of companies would a prefer you to pay cash or there are a lot of places and, and it's growing a lot here in the city as costs go up uh, are cash only. And they just have an ATM. It's not because they're trying to be difficult is because they have to pay a bank and a payment processor every single time you swipe your credit card to buy something. I was surprised to find out that not, that there are people in the world that don't understand how this works, that they think that if I go to my local coffee shop, and my total is $10 and I swipe for $10, the coffee shop gets $10, but that's not true. Credit card processing fees currently cost 1.5 to 3.5% to verify. So a small business must give $1.50 to $3 for every $100 processed through a credit card company, excuse me, through a credit card to a company in the middle. It might not sound like much, right? Oh, it's just, Three bucks, $1.50 for every $100. But if you run a small business, it piles up. And think about the last time that you stood in line at a place like Starbucks and people paid with paper money. It's It gets rarer and rarer. They're either paying with the Apple Pay or that digital Starbucks card or they're paying with a credit card. Not many people are paying in cash, right? And I'll, I'll stick to the local coffee shop. Wouldn't you want a future a potential future because of decentralized finance that can only be done through a, a public ledger that is immutable, that is powered by this technology called blockchain. Wouldn't you rather have a day that when you go to your local coffee shop and you pay in a very similar manner, scanning your phone using NFC or uh, a QR code or something like that is how payments are being processed right now uh, in crypto. And the coffee shop, your local coffee shop that you love gets the lion's share of that $10 instead of the way it works right now, where it's like your credit card sits in between you and the register and they take your $100 and they make change. They take $3 and then they hand the 97 to the coffee shop. And that's it. That's all I'm doing as a bank, right? That's all I'm doing as a payment processor is I'm handing the money from one person to another. So for me, when I think about the potential blockchain, I go, oh, that's a net positive to me. That's 
definitely a net positive. There are going to be transaction fees, but some proof of stake networks are currently running fee-less. Some of them, their fee to transfer funds is like 0.0002 cents or something like that. Even Dogecoin, which is a meme coin, aka a shit coin, costs an average 0.239 cents to verify. It's a lot lower than 1.5 to 3%. And the thing about it is that banks at scale can have made a decision, right? They could have said to themselves, you know what? We make enough money <laughs> taking money away from merchants. We're going to knock this down to 0.5%. Like, of course, they're not going to do that, right? But here's a system that can force hands and force changes. I don't know about you guys, but I would like to see a future like that where small business owners are able to give their consumers the convenience of not having to walk around with hundreds of dollars in their in their in their uh, their wallets but still be able to get a lion's share of the money. I would hope that you would prefer that system to the current banking system. I would really hope we were all in approval about this. The other thing about the energy um thing that I I, I would like to, to to point out is that there is no ethical consumption of the capitalism. It's it's kind of one of those things that I've grown to accept. I love the comedy, The Good Place, because they really put into perspective The Good Place about how no one is able to get into heaven because every time they buy something, technically along the chain of custody, something unethical is happening. Someone is being paid way below the living wage someone is working in horrendous working conditions like all these different things that are happening before it gets to you right and it really makes you wonder that there really is no ethical consumption under capitalism whether it is a moral consumption or whether it is the discussion about energy right if you think about an iphone right people people will tweet about being ethical about the way you consume things and your carbon footprint, your impact on the world, but they're typing on a phone where raw materials are mined in, in potentially horrendous working conditions or built in China using child labor or even forced labor uh, being paid pennies on the dollar, okay? And um, when you think about the chain of custody about a lot of things that we consume under capitalism, there really is no such thing as ethical consumption. That's why, to me, it's hard for me to point a finger at the way someone else is using their energy and telling them, no, that's not a good use of energy. Where to me, when I think about the blockchain and its potential impact for the way that we have control over our finances, I go, yeah. I mean, this is a really good use of this energy, especially if we're offsetting energy being used elsewhere. The key to this that I want people to take away is that I don't think the conversation is about let's pick and choose what we think is an important use of energy because that conversation will never end, right? Plenty of people can have an argument with gamers and tell them why they unethically consume way too much energy for their... their um, not, I was going to say habit, but for their passion and the thing that they love, for their stress relief, right? We all know the benefits of gaming. Are you ethically consuming energy if you are a gamer? Like the argument can be made, right? Like we, we can have this, this discussion, right? Person that, that 
streams Netflix, I can go to them and say, bro, why are you watching all eight episodes of The Witcher in a row? Why don't you just watch one episode per week? Just because it's there doesn't need me need to do it. That person can then tell me, well, why do you why, why do you have to play uh, or tell other people, why are you playing Call of Duty for four hours a day? You, you understand? They're going to talk to you about how much energy your system uses. The TV, it's, it, I, I call it the race of the bottom of a bottomless pit. The solution to this problem, the solution to climate change is the root, is getting rid of a lot of the lawmakers that support the companies that are destroying the planet. It is um, moving to reliance on renewable energy. Remember, electricity is a utility. We've, read, we've surpassed the point as human beings to the point where we need electricity. We've gotten discomfortable by now, okay? So I think that's really the, where the conversation should uh, lie. So I wrote here, gamers shouldn't talk about energy waste and criticizing energy consumption because it's, I call it the, the race to the bottom of a bottomless pit. And uh, for, I'll give you one example because I, I sort of feel like it's a little hypocritical the way that I've seen some journalists talk about the energy consumption of, of blockchain. And in their defense, they're not seeing a reason why this should exist. So uh, I, I give people a little bit of leeway on that. I, I sort of get it, right? I'm sure they can easily defend why they should be able to play games for five hours a day and no one should feel bad about it. Like, you understand? I'm pretty sure they could defend that, right? So once again, the race to the bottom of a bottomless pit. Here's an example. There's a journalist that I follow on Twitter that has on multiple occasions talked about how evil NFTs are and talked about the energy consumption that they have on the planet. Here's a person that will tweet about this and then in the very next tweet talk about, hey, join me on Twitch and watch my 10-hour flight on Microsoft Flight Simulator. So to me, that's throwing stones while standing, what is, what is it, throwing stones while living in the glass house? That seems, I mean, am I wrong that I, I feel like that's a little bit hypocritical that you're telling like artists like, oh, you piece of shit. You're using NFTs <laughs> to try to monetize your art and make a living, you asshole, and then criticize other people for their consumption of energy and how they choose to consume it, even though even if it benefits themselves in terms of a living wage or any other thing, uh, strive instead of surviving. But at the same time, you are playing an Xbox or a PC, having it running for 10 hours straight. You are playing a game that is online only. You are playing a game that exists only because of a cloud, right? A technology that streams peta, petabytes of data from multiple data centers around the world. And they try to obviously choose the ones closest to you for 10 hours straight. And then you are streaming that out on Twitch for 10 hours straight for people to watch. You are using an immense amount of energy to do that. So if it's almost like I think a lot of people want others to be ethical in their consumption of energy when they themselves aren't. I'm not going to talk to you about animal cruelty while eating a bucket of fried chicken. It just doesn't make any sense. Now, if you're a journalist out there and you talk about you and you show your setup where you're pedaling a bike to power your PlayStation 5 for a few hours 
or you show your solar panel setup, or you talk about your carbon offset, you know exactly what your carbon footprint is, you know exactly how much energy, then hell yeah, bro, do you. Say it with your whole chest. You have every right then, in my opinion, to have an opinion on, on energy consumption. I sure as hell am not going to tell other people how what's a good use of, of their energy or electricity. Who am I to tell people that go to see a concert? I mean, how much energy does it take to run a concert nowadays with, with the lights and all these digital effects and all this stuff going on? Who am I to tell people who go to a concert, bro, don't, don't go to a concert. You know how much energy is used? You know what the carbon footprint is for people to travel and fly and drive to get to this concert? Who the hell am I? Who, who plays video games sometimes for like four hours, five hours straight, seven days a week sometimes. <laughs> you, you understand what I'm saying? I just feel like it's kind of hypocritical. Uh, here's another thing. Ubisoft Quartz is a perfect example. Ubisoft Quartz was Ubisoft's dipping it, their toll in the NFT pool. For me, it's a perfect example of being angry without fully understanding why you're angry. And I'll, I'll, I'll explain why. Ubisoft Quartz runs on the Tezos blockchain. 3,000 digits. Each digit is a is a, is a separate entity and an instance, a token for an item. Three thousand of these were released. Verifying a single transaction, meaning me claiming that NFT, me trading that NFT, me selling that NFT. But let's just start with redeeming. Each of those instances is thirty. It's, it uses as much energy as streaming a video for 30 seconds. That was the layman's term way of Tezos explaining it, okay? I don't know about you guys, but that's not that bad, okay? Most of us spend way more than 30 seconds streaming. We'll, we'll have like 10 minute straight sessions on, on TikTok. We'll stream YouTube videos for hours upon a day, right? That's not counting Netflix. I know a lot of y'all already finished Witcher season two, watching like eight hours straight. So a single transaction uses as much power as 30 seconds of video streaming. That's not bad. Let's be honest. At that point, then the conversation changes. In my opinion, it should change. Then the change is, well, Joel, is this worth it? That's a good discussion. But no one is going to tell me, Joel, this uses a lot of energy. You understand what I'm saying? Gamers wouldn't know this. And I, I, the overwhelming amount of people that I've, I've seen talking about Ubisoft Quartz do not have not shared this nugget, this layman's term um, sentence, because the writers, the journalists, the creators who are so anti NFT won't give you this nugget of information because it does not support the story of blockchain and nfts are going to blow up the planet it's gonna it's gonna light the whole thing on fire kataku is a publication i brought up that is notorious for having a singular point of view on the topic of nfts and blockchain as a whole right they every single article is about this is evil it's awful uh it's bad for the planet it's gonna light the planet on fire uh, companies are going to use this to, to get greedy. The rich are going to get richer. The poor are going to get poorer. Uh, it's going to steal your girl. It's going to kill your mother. Like all these different things. I've, I went to Kataka's website prepping for the story and I searched. I, I searched NFT. I searched blockchain. I searched crypto. And I tried to find a single counterpoint. None. 
they're not going to allow a writer to come in and tell people and and not even be pro NFT, not even be pro blockchain, but do what I'm doing, which is guys, I, I think we're looking at this wrong. This is kind of the way that I look at it because here are some potential use cases of the blockchain. I went to go find the story from Kotaku that reported about Ubisoft Quartz when it was first announced. And this is what they wrote, quote, the program relies on Tezos, a proof of stake currency, which claims to be energy efficient. I'm going to repeat that sentence one more time to show you guys how important it is for you to do your own research and not just take people at face value. The program relies on Tezos. That's the name of the blockchain that they're using a proof of stake currency, which claims to be energy efficient. They do not go on to explain what proof of stake is. They, you, they, the writer made it a point to use the word claim as if Tezos is unable to prove that they're energy efficient. You could read Tezos's white paper. You can see independent studies that have already been done about Tezos's, the Tezos blockchain um, and their energy consumption. Tezos is currently second or at least in top three in terms of energy efficient proof of stake networks. I believe it's currently in top three. Do we think that that energy efficiency is going to get worse or is going to get better? Because I feel like it's going to get better. The argument can be said, well, Joel, at scale, it might get worse. Maybe. But in its current state, I think we can all agree this is not as catastrophic as some people like it like to tell you that it is. This is what bothers me about a lot of writers, a lot of journalists out there, because I think they're being very unfair in their assessment of this technology where they are feeding you worst case scenarios. I see a lot of fear mongering going on without wanting to open up. And, and it's, like, it's like not even giving blockchain an inch, not even saying, you know, Tezos uses proof of stake. That's actually only 30 seconds. That's equivalent to 30 seconds of streaming a video. So yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's at least it's not as bad as, but they won't even give you that. You understand what I'm saying? That's my problem with a lot of the journalists that I've been seeing online. I think it's okay to be skeptical. I think it's okay to exist on that side of the fence, anti versus pro NFT. Maybe you're not sitting in the middle like me, but understand that that line that divides anti and pro is not a wall. It's a chain link fence. And at any point you can see the other side, you can listen to the other side, but don't, don't turn around. Don't plug your ears. Make sure to always get both sides of the story because you have to see you know, the both sides of the coin in order to get the full picture. And that's why I like to say that I'm an NFT enthusiast. I could be completely wrong. There could be a report that comes out that counters the data that I've seen because I've seen during doing my research of looking into proof of stake networks. I knew about Tezos before Ubisoft implemented it. And naturally I asked the question, well, how much better is proof of stake versus proof of work? And I looked at studies and it's like, wow, it actually does use a lot less energy. That's pretty cool. And I mean, but you have to go out and do that research. And before I move on, I'm going to give you another example of a race, what I call the race to the bottom of a bottomless pit, which is once again, irony. And to me is a little bit, could be hypocritical. Yang Ye is a YouTuber that 
makes a lot of YouTube videos about a lot of different topics. I'm going to use Yangye as an example, not as a slight to him personally, not as a way of attacking this person, but just because he's a very popular YouTuber and he reports a lot on gaming news. He's made multiple videos about Ubisoft Court specifically. I think he also did one about the Stalker NFT and he's maybe done some for NFTs in general. But I just want to use it as an example of why it's so important to understand that this is a, a race to the bottom of a bottomless pit. Yangye created a 20-minute video about Ubisoft NFTs and it has over 164,000 views right now. If you did the math according to what I just told you, meaning claiming that one NFT uses 30 seconds of energy, uh, 30 same energy as 30 seconds of streaming video. What that means is that to equal that amount of energy burned by Ubisoft Quartz and the initial launch of all 3000 digits, you know, it's the equivalent of that. If you do the math and I hope my math is correct because I'm terrible at math. Um, 75 people, <laughs> If just 75 people watch all 20 minutes of Yongye's video talking about how bad Ubisoft NFTs are, how bad they are for the environment, it equals the amount of energy burned by the initial acquisition and claiming of every single one of those digits. Now, remember, this, is, this video has been viewed over 164,000 times. Yongye has made at least three videos, I think at least three or four videos, and each of them are like 15, 17, 20 minutes, which means that more energy, the irony that more energy is being wasted. Remember, Yongye is the, not the only YouTuber. More energy is being burned watching YouTubers tell you about Ubisoft burning energy using NFTs. I hope you see the irony in that. I hope you kind of see the hypocrisy in that. And I hope it solidifies what I've been saying, which is the race to the bottom of a bottomless pit. So to me, when I see a gaming journalist report on how bad it is for the planet, the motivation to me seems more about supporting the stance against evil and not really because I give a fuck about the environment. Okay? Do the test for yourself. Go find a journalist that has been talking about how bad this is for the environment and find all their other tweets, look through their tweets, Look through their writings, look through their um, articles, and find one where they also discuss how bad gaming is for the for the for the planet. Because you, you care about the planet that much, show me. Like I say, say it with your whole chest. If not, don't give me half the story. Okay. How many of these journalists have prayed Xbox for its always on feature? How many of these journalists currently have their PlayStation? How many of you people out there that say this is so bad for the environment, have PlayStation 5s in rest mode, have Xboxes in always on mode, that means that your system is running and using electricity 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know why you're doing that? You know why I do it? To save what, two minutes per session or something like that? So you can quickly get into it? You understand what I'm saying? Like it's a race to the bottom of a pit. We all use energy. Most people that want others to be responsible are also equally irresponsible in the way that they use energy in their own carbon footprint. How many of these same journalists that criticize, oh, this is going to be so awful for gaming because it's so awful for the environment, how many of them reported on the fact that the Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5 use more energy than their predecessors? How many of them have 
written stories about xCloud and Stadia and Amazon Luna and NVIDIA GE Force Now and have gotten excited to talk about streaming all their Game Pass games? Well, how many of them have talked about how much more energy streaming takes than playing a game natively offline? It's a big jump in the use of energy. So once again, the race to the bottom of a bottomless pit. And I think that that's the end of my discussion on energy. <laughs> I'm hoping that it opens your mind a little bit. I'm hoping that I was able to give you a different angle while simultaneously definitely not sitting here and saying, bro, this is like positive for the environment, bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is good. It's okay. Ubisoft is going to you know, plant some trees. It's going to offset. Carbon offset is such a complicated subject. It's not as it's easier said than done. There's a lot of moving pieces to this, but I'm hoping that it gives you a different perspective of how we're having this discussion because the discussion should be about we need to be better at using renewable energy. And there are a lot of mining um, rigs and uh, miners around the world that either A, use renewable energy. Is it every single one? No. But a lot of them are responsible about it. A lot of them are using energy that would actually be wasted. A big amount of energy. I think the energy wasted is more than the energy consumed on the planet. I might be wrong. Don't quote me on that. But instead of wasting that energy, you pump it into a proof of stake mine or you pump it into a proof of work mine. Uh, even though, like I said, proof of work is bad. We do need to, to move away from that. And energy that was then otherwise wasted is is being used to run an immutable um, public ledger that hopefully you understand a lot of the benefits just from that financial perspective why blockchain is actually a good idea. The other issue I've seen is the detractors while we're already at the 45-minute mark, and I think about like halfway. Please stick with me. The other issue I've seen is detractors are not digging beneath the surface and on the surface, it looks like all this energy is being used to buy and sell pictures of cats. Bitcoin's white paper begins a purely peer-to-peer -peer version of electronic cash that would allow online payments to be sent directly from one party to another without going through a financial institution. NFTs are, I'm not going to say super tiny, but they're just one piece of the blockchain story. I think a lot of people are looking at it from the perspective of like, look at, we're wasting all this energy to trade photos of microwave cats. And, you know, that's kind of like not the, I don't think that's the best way to look at it. You know, I, I sort of look at it as like, there are a lot of people that are using a cement mixer to blend a smoothie. That's sort of kind of what it feels like right now. But I could make the same argument about YouTube. How many people make really stupid YouTube videos? I mean, do we need to upload 10 hours of a rain sound, for example, is, is that's a good use of energy? Once again, the bottomless pit. Um, some other NFT things I heard, scams. Scams are another thing that's brought a lot to detract people from NFTs. Um, spoiler alert, scams can be found within any and every single piece of a technology you use, right? Going back to YouTube, it's like me telling you, yo, Joel, what's YouTube? Bro, YouTube is horrible. It's all people trying, they stand in front of a Lamborghini they rented and they tell you about how you can make thousands of money selling a sewing machine from China and drop shipping it using Spotify. Then you give them a thousand dollars and they just scam you. It's nothing but scams. Okay. Um, Joel, what's email, bro? Email is nothing but a scam, bro. Let me tell you about email. The Prince of Nigeria is going to email you and ask you for a bunch of cash. You see where this is heading. 
Cell phones, bro. Phones are a scam. Telephones, picking up the phone is a scam. Some dude in India is going to tell you he's from the IRS and is going to ask you to send him $1,000 in Google Play cards. <laughs> you know, or you're going to be arrested. Scams are everywhere. In my opinion, that shouldn't like, like it's, it's like looking at blockchain like this, like through this hyper-focused tunnel where it's like, no, let's focus on the scams. It's like, bro, scams can be found absolutely everywhere and anywhere. Canal Street is one of the best neighborhoods. Chinatown and Canal Street are one of the best neighborhoods in New York City if you're visiting here. I'm not going to tell people, bro, don't go to Canal Street because they're going to try to sell you a $10 Gucci bag, which is fake. Scams are everywhere. Hacks are another thing you might hear about. Hacks are not actually hacks. When a lot of people talk about hacks, what they're really talking about most of the time, not all the time, because some exchanges have had issue with hacks. I've personally never heard of a wallet actually being hacked. I'm going to be honest. I'm not sitting here saying that it's never happened, but I've never seen a case where um, a wallet was actually by definition hacked. Usually when people talk about hacks as a way to scare you about NFTs, is this actually that person got out hustled and they got scammed. They gave away their seed phrase, which is like the key to your wallet. Um, there are also hardware wallets that exist. That you could buy as an extra layer of protection. Uh, your seed layer is like a password, a very complicated password that has to be written down in sequence or kept somewhere safe because that's the key to your wallet. Someone saying, bro, my wallet got hacked is the equivalent of someone telling you, bro, my bank account got hacked. And you tell them, yo, what happened? And they say, well, someone at work, I think, sat at my desk and I had my name and password written on a post-it note on the screen and they use that to log in and take all my money. Uh, bro, that's not a hack, okay? Yo, dumbass left the password <laughs> attached to your screen. That's probably why you lost all your money, okay? So that's another thing. Here's another one. NFTs exist to launder money. Spoiler alert. Art is currently used to launder money. Businesses, some businesses exist to wash money. Uh, laundering has been around in the world for centuries, okay? Once again, what 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 are we going to do? Shut down, stop people from being able to open businesses? Stop people from being able to buy and sell art? Because uh, there's a certain number of people that use this in a malicious way? Come on, man. Um the other thing that I want people to understand too about this whole thing about laundering money and oh, people are using crypto to, to buy drugs online and all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. Uh, the ledger is public, okay? Your wallet is public. Anyone can see it. You have to think about it like your public is, your, your wallet is like see-through. Imagine if your wallet was see-through. Anyone can see the money that you have in that wallet. The protection exists in its pretty much humanly impossible to break into that it's like it's like having a i guess not not a wallet it's like having a see-through safe but to see the safe is impossible to crack so every single time you move funds a block is created so it's very easy to be able to track that down to the source so laundry money or using it to buy drugs or hire murderers is is not as inherently easy as people like to say it is People that do that are probably going to stick to the tried and true method, cash, right? That That's that's really hard to trace, right? This is one of my favorites that people like to bring up. You don't own your NFT. There's another one that NFT detractors like to bring up. They use examples of NFT contracts in which the holder has limited commercial rights to the token. 
But full licensing rights actually aren't a rare occurrence. So a lot of people like to say, oh, yeah, you know, Ubisoft gave you that helmet, but all you can do is show it. You have the commercial right to display it, right? You can't actually, um, you know, virtually, maybe, oh, maybe, that, maybe that you might be able to do that. Oh, you can't put that helmet on a shirt and be able to print it. Um, once again, spoiler alert, a lot of the things that you buy, especially digitally, you do not have the commercial rights to. But the thing about NFTs is that the tractors will tell you, well, you don't have the commercial rights for this, so you actually don't own it. But they'll omit <laughs> that there are a lot of NFTs out there and communities that are created where you do have full commercial rights. And the irony is that the biggest NFT project to date, the grand, this, is, this is like the apex. This is the one that we're going to look back on in history and say, holy shit, that was the best of blueprint. That was the first ever successful NFT execution, NFT community execution, and the company is not even a year old. It's called the Bored Apes Yacht Club. Look it up. Go Google it. Go see what they're doing because each person that holds those monkeys, those things that you say like, oh, you know, it's just a monkey. I can save it. I can save the NFT. You know, you dumbass. Like I can just right click and save it. Um, each of them have full commercial rights to each of those apes. People have licensed it out. Uh, three members licensed out the likeness of their monkey or their ape to create a, a music group, a universal music group. Um, Jenkins, the valet is like a really good examples. Uh, some guy used his NFT that his, his ape that looked like a valet. He created his own Twitter account. He created a story, a persona and turned him into Jenkins, the valet. And this guy, the story is that he is the valet for the entire yacht club, right? For all 10,000 members. He is the valet. That person that owns that NFT um, was signed on to a creative uh, uh, agency, CAA, in order to be able to find new ways to use that character. Another, uh, some, one person licensed it out to be put on a beer. Um, if I own one of these NFTs, I can make hoodies and sell them and make money. Adidas entered into a partnership. All those likenesses that were paid. Rolling Stone put an ape on the cover. The person who owns that ape got paid for it to license it. So it's not created equal. And the, like I said, the irony is when people say like, oh, you have full commercial rights. I'm like, yeah, the biggest NFT project, the one that, tr that, that proved that NFTs and communities can be built into media entertainment companies where the floor right now, you need at least like $250,000 in order to even get one of these. They have full commercial rights. So it's kind of funny. Anyone who thinks that, oh, there's no way that this Bored Apes is going to be super huge in the future. I'm sure someone told that to Walt Disney when they saw Mickey Mouse. And they're like, this guy thinks he's going to make all this money with just a, a, a rough ass sketch of a mouse. Right? What happened? You brought in Donald Duck, you brought in Goofy and all these other things. You created a media empire. Am I saying that that's what's going to happen to Bored Apes? Well, you never know. Um, let's address now some gaming-specific concerns. Uh, I'm going to see where we are in time. 55 minutes. Um, so I want to go over some gaming-specific concerns. This is another monetization scheme, and it's just as bad as games as a service, and it will ruin games because companies are putting money over players obviously companies need to keep the lights on some of them though are very profit intensive right where they don't put the player first that happens but this type of mindset to look at nfts is like 
well, this is another greedy way that companies are going to be making a lot of money and players are going to lose. And every single game on a, a planet Earth is going to use NFTs and it's going to be malicious. It's going to be awful. It's going to be bad. Um, this is what I call the ore mindset. Shout out, shout out to, to, to Gary Vee. If no one follows Gary Vee. He's a great social uh, person, social media person I follow. And he's, he has a lot of NFT knowledge. He called it the ore and not the end mindset. And I love that because it's like living in a world where you either have to be a create a, excuse me, you either have to create a monetization structure that's super greedy and middle finger to all the players and that's it. Or you don't do it instead of like an end mindset, which is what we currently live in, right? Um, we have countless amazing single player games that come out every year that require one transaction. I like to bring up God of War 2017. I definitely got my $60 worth with that game. There was no expansion pack. I wasn't buying, you know, new axe skins for um, for Kratos, for example, right? Every single year we talk about game of the year is predominantly either single player games or narrative driven experiences like uh, It Takes Two, right? It's co-op as a narrative driven experience. We currently live in the end mindset. There's no way that you can say that's it. Every single gaming company is going to be evil. They're going to use this in awful ways. Currently on cell phone, there are still games that will tell you after 10 minutes, like, hey, sorry, come back in 10 minutes. But if you want to keep on playing, you have to buy some diamonds, right? That happens. Oh, you see that building over there? You want to build that a little bit faster? Well, it's going to take 10 gems to do that. How many of those real-time strategy games exist in console and PC gaming that have that structure? that we talk about in core gaming, the core gaming lexicon. When was the last time you played Age of Empires and they charged you $5 uh, to build units faster? It doesn't exist because we live in the end mindset. You can very quickly choose, oh, no, I'm not playing this game anymore. It's going to be okay. <laughs> you can play something else, right? We have single-player adventures that offer optional microtransactions. Same goes for multiplayer, free-to-play, free-to-start, fully paid. There's all these different structures, right? You have the choice. You can still choose. NFT distractors, detractors want you to believe that we live in a world where consumers don't have power. That's bullshit. In the year 2022, consumers have way more power than they used to because there's so much choice nowadays. If you don't like what Warzone is doing, you can go play Battlefield. You can go play Warzone. It's not the same game, but you're still getting an amazing experience. Choice exists in our in 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 our industry right now. For people to think that consumers don't have the power and will forever have the power, come on, guys. Anyone remember what happened to EA and Star Wars Battlefront 2? Can we talk about how shook players made electronic arts? <laughs> to, to the point that they removed loot boxes from Star Wars Battlefront 2. They pretty much removed loot boxes from almost pretty much all of their games <laughs> because they understood not only were they risking um, uh, themselves brand-wise, they were risking not being able to recoup the cost to make Star Wars Battlefront 2, but most importantly, they were risking their relationship to Disney. Gamers did that. You guys did that by making noise and saying, no, I'm not playing this anymore. I'm not buying it. Remember how quickly Battlefield went down to like 520 bucks? It was like 
a week later because they couldn't get rid of the game because no one was buying, no one wanted to play it, right? EA got so shook by what consumers did that to this to this day, the year 2022, EA still announcing games, telling people, well, guys, this is a single-player game, and just so you know, no microtransactions, no downloadable content. They make it sound like a feature. That's how they announced the Star Wars game. What was it called? Jet? Not Force Awakens. Jedi something. Jeez, I really love that game. I'm blanking out. But even recently when they announced the new Dead Space, they said no microtransactions, no DLC. That's how shook EA has become. Gamers did that. Fortnite stopped using loot llamas. All these other companies, I'm not saying that loot boxes are completely gone, but what happened? A better mousetrap was built. Companies realized that gamers don't like loot boxes. More and more of them were understanding that it is gambling. I'm not even having a debate with that. Loot boxes are gambling. Um, They understood that now they were getting attentions of countries and governments and states and some countries banned them. This is bad. Let's go back to the drawing board. Let's build a better mousetrap. That's what Fortnite did. They introduced the battle pass and they introduced a system that is mutually beneficial between them and gamers. And gamers have almost unanimously agreed with Epic Games and saying, this is mutually beneficial. We like this. I'm, I'm fine giving you $10, $15 every three months because you're giving me challenges and new reasons to keep playing. And you're also giving me cool skins and items and all this different stuff. That's what we're seeing with Halo right now, for example, right? It's called the better mousetrap. And I'm sure companies already did the analytics. And they're like, yeah, we're making way more money doing this than loot boxes. And obviously, they're gaining in the public image that brand increases when you say no to something like loot boxes. And it increases when you say no to malicious tactics, okay? The thing that people need to remember and understand is that We've been here before. When I think of NFTs, to me, it's like deja vu. It's honestly deja vu. NFTs are like DLC. Like, that's kind of the way that I look at it. I was there for 2006. I was there for the horse armor. (laughs) People went nuts. I'll never forget that. It was insane when when Bethesda announced that $2.50 horse armor. I remember how I reacted. I said no. For me, I think I reacted more to myself. I said, I'm not giving you guys $2.50 for horse armor. I don't think that I went like super crazy in terms of saying like, wow, that's it, guys. Games are over. But I remember distinctly a lot of people doing that. A lot of people were saying, bro, but Deza, you pieces of shit. They were saying, bro, the next Elder Scrolls is going to be empty, bro. Games, you're going to be paying $50, $60, and you're going to have to pay $5 for your sword, $3 $3 for your pants, uh, uh, $7 for your helmet. Each potion is going to cost a quarter. People went nuts with it. But the one thing that they forget is that this is a tool. DLCs are a tool. NFTs are a tool. And companies are nowadays more cognizant than ever of they're going to try to push, Right? Because I'm trying to keep the lights on, but I'm trying to also appease my stockholders. Okay? Like, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and tell you, like, bro, these companies aren't greedy. 
fuck no. <laughs> Ubisoft is definitely looking at this and saying, how can we, how can we turn this into a way to make increase our digital sales? They're definitely looking at it from that perspective. There's no way anyone can can say that that won't happen. The thing about it is that consumers nowadays are way smarter than they used to be. And if we think about the way microtransactions used to be back when horse armor, companies, once again, they tried different things. They wanted to see what can I get away with? What will people accept? I will never forget when there were microtransactions where people downloaded and they went, wait a minute, why is this microtransaction only 50 kilobytes? Hold on a second. And then gamers figured it out. And the word spread, and we all realized what companies were doing. You're not selling downloadable content. You're selling me the key to unlock the content that is already on the disc that you shipped. So you put it on the disc, you locked it behind a door, you shipped the game, and then two months later, you sold me the key to open that door. There were a lot of companies that when people found that out, they went, oh, shit, damn it. We couldn't get one over on them, right? And then the tactic changed. Now we're at this moment where, think about it, we went from people saying this is going to destroy gaming in 2006 to just 10 years later in the year 2016, and obviously it's only grown to the year 2022, where we are happy, more than happy, to pay $60 for a game we don't own. The moment we hit buy, the company gets 60 bucks, and I have no way of liquidating it. That's why I feel like we have to understand that this is a tool and you gamers will always have the power. You always will hold the power by tweeting about how much you don't like it, by emailing these companies, telling them how much you don't like it, by voting with your wallet. Voting with your attention is also very important. That's the only way these you will 100% force companies to change it will always happen if not pay to win would be rampant in our industry if not games would operate the same way mobile games operate where i'm trying to nickel dime you at every turn where at the end of every level i'm playing an advertisement right look what happened to M nba 2k they had unskippable ads for like what 12 hours that they tried that they attempted to do that to have an unskippable ad and what did they go? Oh, man, my mistake, guys. This is a mistake. We'll learn from it. No, it wasn't a mistake. You guys thought you could get away with it. You wanted you wanted to push the button. You wanted to see how many people would be okay with it. You know, it's only 30 seconds. I have to sit through 30 seconds. This is how much money we would make. It's not that big of a deal. It was that big of a deal. And then you know what? 2K said, damn. All right, guys, the jig is up. This isn't going to work. You guys will always have the power. Don't let anyone tell you that you don't. What else we got? Um, the system will encourage more pay-to-win items. This is one that I love. The simple answer, no. No, it will not. Because currently, as we live and breathe right now, multiplayer games, free-to-start, free-to-play games are in are having their moment. They're having the most consistent attention that they've ever had. There was a moment for companies to introduce pay to win at scale. They would have already done it if they thought they could get away with it. They don't need this system to do it. The thing about it too is that once again, 
the end or mindset. We live in the end mindset right now. There are a lot of games that are currently pay to win. FIFA was still up for game awards. FIFA is still getting favorable reviews. Uh, those same journalists that are telling you, man, this is going to go pay to win. These companies are going to go greedy. How many of them have written a story about how FIFA is pay to win? Currently, FIFA Ultimate Team is the epitome. It's the te- If I put pay to win in the textbook, I would say, example, FIFA Ultimate Team. <laughs> it's literal pay to win. And the funny thing is that each year, you have to rebuild those decks. You can't take your deck from FIFA 19 and move it to FIFA 20. NFTs can cause a demand because NFTs are introduced in this moment where we're, we want, we're reopening the dialogue with companies and we're saying, hold on, why, why, why don't I own these items? Why am I paying hundreds of dollars to build cards in FIFA and then next year if I want to play the new game, my hundreds of dollars are flushed down the toilet? Well, there's this new cool thing called NFT. You guys need to put FIFA Ultimate Team on NFTs. It's, will EA ever do it? People have to vote with their wallets. The reason why FIFA Ultimate Team still exists as a pay-to-win proponent is, number one, I think that a lot of journalists honestly haven't been reporting on it. But it's a fact. Most FIFA pros that go to tournaments and all that shit and they compete on a professional level will tell you that there was no way they could compete unless they spent five, $6,000 in order to build their team. That's the literal definition of pay-to-win. <laughs> So EA has been able to get away with this because there hasn't been that much pressure. A, not public, there's no public pressure, there's no public discourse. And the thing is that the people who are getting, or who are on the receiving end of the system, FIFA players, they're accepting it. FIFA players are like, fuck this, I'm going to keep playing Ultimate Team. And we keep hearing about EA talking about how much money they're making off Ultimate Team. That means that FIFA players are voting with their wallets and they're voting to EA. This is okay. It's not going to happen. Um, here's another one I hear a lot. NFT games are a pyramid scheme. This is a partial yes. I will agree with this one. Um, crypto, a lot of crypto is a, uh, is a pyramid scheme. Here's a perfect example. Meme coins and shit coins are by definition a pyramid scheme. <laughs> okay. I find a project early, like uh, I'll use Shiba Inu as an example. There are a bunch of whales in China. A whale in the NFT lexicon is fat pockets. People that can drop a million dollars in the street, laugh and keep walking. Like, ah, I'm not even going to bend over to pick that up. The energy it takes. Fuck it. Uh, just leave it on the ground. You know, what I mean? We're talking about whales of this size. They'll hold a bunch of these coins and a bunch of these different wallets. Then what they'll do is they'll um, hire bots. They'll hire bot farms, pay bot farms. And these bot farms have a simple uh, uh, job. Spam Reddit, spam Twitter, hashtag Shiba Inu, hashtag Shiba to the moon, because I'm selling you a dream. As the person at the top with the biggest wallet, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm selling it to you like this, bro. What if Shiba Inu hit $1? And then they'll, they'll, they'll tell you, bro, if you put $20 right now, and it hits a dollar, you'll make you'll make twenty thousand dollars. But what they won't tell you is how mathematically mathematically impossible it would be for that coin to hit a dollar. 
anyone who's really into NFTs and people way smarter than me have been able to explain to me because of the market cap and all these different parameters, it's, it's not possible. It's it's virtually impossible. I'm not, I don't know if it's 100% possible, but they want you to believe it's impossible. They're selling you your dream. And I'm trying to get you to spend 20, you to spend 30, that guy spent 100, it piles up. And you raise the coin and then I coordinate with my other whales to dump it. Sometimes it's called a rug pull. That's one way that's, that's, that's put out there, which is a coin or an NFT or project created with one instant, uh, excuse me, with one purpose to pull the rug and keep everyone's money. So, but let's talk specifically about NFT games. NFT games are a pyramid scheme. Yes. I'm going to give that a partial yes. I'm going to give it a partial yes because it depends on how they're implemented. So there is an implementation of NFT gaming that's called pay to play to earn. You've probably heard of play to earn. It's going to be the new buzzword next year. 2022 is the buzz. It's going to be the year of uh, play to earn and it's going to be the year of NFT gaming. If you're sick of these, you might as well just mute them on Twitter because it's going to be all over the place, right? That's going to be like the buzzwords for next year. But then there is pay to play to earn. This is a pyramid scheme. (laughs) I don't know how else to look at it. What this means is that I have to buy NFTs in order to enter the game. Axie Infinity is like the poster child of this model. Okay. But in my opinion, they're not the poster child of NFT gaming. Some people would like to tell you like, oh, this is proof that... There's a lot of money in NFT gaming. You should get excited. You can earn money. You can make a living off playing video games. Bullshit, okay? It's not that simple. Once again, people are trying to sell you a dream here. Axie Infinity, in my opinion, is a good case for what I call bad faith implementation. When you have a new stream of monetization, uh, we're going to talk about NFTs in the blockchain. There is a good faith implementation, and then there's a bad faith implementation. Bad faith means that you're not putting the player at the center of your decisions. It's just all about, I'm trying to be able to make as much money as I possibly can. I don't care about the experience. I don't care about the game. So it's essentially, Axie Infinity is essentially like Pokemon if Pokemon, if each Pokemon was an NFT. Here's the problem. You need to purchase three Axies in order to enter into that ecosystem. That's a problem, right? Um, you need to be able to purchase three of them just to be able to play the game. The current floor price, a floor price in uh, NFT or uh, you know uh, blockchain selling is the cheapest amount that I can pay in order to get it. The cheapest axes as of yesterday that I checked were $69 each, which means you have to pay $200 just to play this game. <laughs> I think I hope that you can see the problem with this and how this becomes a pyramid scheme. These type of systems will never work at scale. These type of systems will never work from a triple A development perspective because of a lot of things. Number one, the most prevalent one being if we're all here for the same reason, we're all going to lose. If we're all playing Axie Infinity, playing (laughs) Axie Infinity to make money, how do we make money, right? The only way we make money then is for new players to come in and buy new axes. Because if I'm already in the ecosystem and I'm playing the game and I'm combining axes and I'm generating tokens to buy other axes and all these different things, I'm in the ecosystem. 
I make money by other people buying my axes, but it's probably not going to be bought by another player. It's going to be a new player coming in and saying, what's the cheapest way I can get in? That's a pyramid scheme. That's a good one. <laughs> that right there is a good example. There are people that will sell you the dream. They'll tell you, oh, there's people in the Philippines and Ghana right now making above a living wage playing Axie Infinity. Those are facts. Those are true. The problem is that to enter this game, you're buying a speculative and extremely volatile digital asset called an NFT. It's only as valuable as the people that are willing to pay for it value it. And what will happen is that if one person that if if one whale or one person that let's say I have 50 axes in a wallet and I fall into a period of what's called FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, meaning that, damn, bro, it looks like this game is dying, man. And I have ten thousand dollars worth of these fucking axes. <laughs> And you say, you look at the floor and you say, damn, people aren't buying it fast enough. I want to dump my Axie. Let's say the floor is 250 and you list your Axie for 150 each in order to try to, to exit. What does that, what does that have, what, excuse me, what does that action do? It causes everyone else that owns Axie to go, oh my God, the floor is dropping. 150. I can't be stuck with this. I'm selling for 140, 130, 120. Then becomes a race to the bottom. Because if I'm a new player, I'm not scrolling through a bunch of axes and saying, oh, this one's 100, but damn, this one has kind of nicer stats, so I'm going to pay $300. No. They're going to go to the floor. That's, that's what people do when they buy NFTs, especially an NFT they have to pay to play to earn. Perfect example. I don't see how Axie Infinity can become sustainable, but Axie Infinity is going to have a lot of volume. It's going to have a lot of attention next year as NFT gaming and pay-to-play or play-to-earn becomes buzzwords. And unfortunately, a lot of people are going to lose money. This is why I like to say that, yep, when it comes to blockchain NFT, it's not all rainbows and sunshine. You know, just like any other type of speculative market, people are going to lose a lot of money because... There are a lot of people that are inherently really stupid with their money. There are some people who will treat things like NFTs and Shiba Inu coins as like a lottery ticket. Eh, I'll put $20 in. If it goes up, it goes up. If I lose it, I lose it. But there are a lot of people that believe in that dream so much. And they watch a YouTube video where someone has their, their mouth open and it says, I made $5,000 in 24 hours. And they're going to go, oh my God, I can do this too. It's unfortunate you're buying a dream. That's really what it is. So NFT games are payment screen. Yes, they can be, depending on how they're implemented. One of the main issues behind all of this, um, what is this that I wrote? Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, one of the main issues behind uh, NF NFT detractors in NFT gaming is that not a single company has been able to accurately explain to gamers why this is good. And so they will continue creating worst case scenarios because of it. Okay. I think Phil Spencer, actually, I love his comment on NFTs because he put it in the way of like, I'm paying attention. We're paying attention to Xbox, but the market seems to be all, you know, a lot of people taking advantage of other people. Um, from my perspective, it is hyperinflated. It is overvalued. Okay. 
Um, but I like I like Phil's approach to it, which is like we're paying attention. We're paying attention. Where he's like, nope, no forever, right? He I think he looks like it's like same thing, like I'm paying attention, but right now, no. Right now is not the time to talk about NFTs in gaming. And he's hundred percent right about that. Um, I like to say that we're in an NFT bubble of attention. People think that we're in a bubble, meaning that once the bubbles burst, NFTs are gone forever. You're never going to hear about them ever again. But what we're actually in is what I refer to as an NFT bubble of, in, of attention. If you want an equivalent to this, go search the dot-com bubble that happened when the internet was first introduced. It went crazy. Pets.com was sold for like a million dollars and all these different URLs were going crazy and People were building companies left and right. And a lot of them shuttered within like a year or years because the bubble of attention burst. And when that bubble of attention and hype bursts, the people with the real projects are going to be the ones that are going to stick around. And that's why I feel like it's not the right time to even been talking about NFTs. Um, my simple answer to why gamers should want NFTs because this is a question I get asked a lot. Joel, why should gamers even care about NFTs? To me, it's digital ownership. Our industry leads the way for digital items that are sold through a limited license. Like gaming leads the way when it came to, yeah, this is okay. And the consumer standpoint of adopting it at scale and saying like, yeah, yeah, we're cool with this system. Like we led the way when it came to that. Um, when you buy a digital game or a digital item, we all know how it works right now. You can't sell it. You can't transfer it because you don't own it because you're sold a limited license. And a license says you can access this game for as long as I allow it to be accessible, which means that at this very moment, uh, any company THQ or take two interactive can just, boop, just hit the delete button and delete all those licenses or delete your access to that game by saying, nah, we just don't feel like selling this game anymore. They don't owe you nothing. They don't owe you a refund because you, you, you agreed to that contract when you made that purchase, right? Um, the NFT community, in terms of people who are in this for the blockchain, decentralized finance, NFT art, NFT communities, look at the potential of this technology, they are genuinely surprised by the way the gaming industry and gaming fans have reacted to NFTs. And the reason why they're acting with, they, they kind of are a little bit surprised by it is because for as long as people have been talking about NFTs, um, and obviously the conversation has accelerated for the last few years, they've really felt that gamers would be the, like, over, like, the majority of gamers would want this. The majority of gamers would be able to at least listen to a future where they will be able to own their digital items. So some people in the NFT community are actually surprised by this, where they go like, hold on a second. And, and some of them are still like uh, confused. Like, man, you guys are fighting against a system where you can finally own your digital items and have agency over them. Um, to me, that's the baseline potential that has me listening as a gamer. And I'm a person that doesn't even buy a lot of digital games. I buy predominantly physical. And if someone asks me, Joel, why do you buy predominantly um, uh, physical? 
It's simple. When I buy physical, I have an opportunity to liquidate. When I bought Ratchet and Clank earlier this year, I paid $75 at the tax. I finished the game, and then that's it. I'm not a person that's just going to keep it on the shelf because I know that the longer it stays on the shelf, the more value it loses. And I know I'm not going to play Ratchet and Clank maybe probably even ever again. I didn't love the game that much. I thought it was cool. I got the platinum for it. But even if I want to play this game again, it's going to be a while, right? This isn't something I'm going to play again in like a month, two months. So what did I do? I sold it. I sold it. I think I sold it on eBay or somewhere. I think I sold it for like $55, $50, which if my math is correct, that means I paid $20, $25 for Ratchet and Clank. That's definitely worth it. That game was definitely good for $20, $25, right? But if I bought $1,000 in games in the year 2022 in physical and you bought the same games in digital, your games are lesser than my games. Because at any point in time, let's say for whatever reason, I have an emergency and I need money and I need to liquidate. Dependent on my personal history of buying and selling a lot of games, usually in calendar one, year one of a game being released, you can usually retain at least 40% of its value. Cutting that seal, that plastic alone is worth like five, 10, sometimes $15 at launch. But usually games retain their value for quite some time in year one. Sometimes they don't. I mean, look at Deathloop. You can buy, I think even today for like 22 bucks because obviously probably didn't sell really well. Um, but for the most part, I can liquidate pretty quickly. I play games pretty fast. And even at the end of the year, I can at the very least get 10% back. That's a hundred bucks. That's a hundred bucks more than you can get because you can't liquidate it. There is no way to do it. So funnily enough, I've seen people go on, on Twitter under like Ubisoft, the Ubisoft stuff. And they'll say like, Ubisoft, forget about these items. Why don't you uh, turn games into NFTs? And I, and I look at those comments and I just go, man, you're so close, buddy. You know, you're, you're so close to getting it. Okay, we are the consumers. We vote with our wallets. We hold the power. Okay, the moment one publisher makes that switch, the moment a singular publisher, no matter how small they are, let's say it's Rockstar, says, hey guys, using the Rockstar Games Launcher, you can buy and sell your items. You have ownership over your items now. That's like step one, because other people are going to be like, wait a minute, Rockstar fans can buy and sell their, their digital games. I'm a, Ubisoft, why can't I do the same? EA, why can't I do this? It's the attention, but it has to start somewhere. And you have to, at the very least, be open to NFTs. Keep your ears open instead of saying, this is bad all around, right? Another question I've seen asked a lot is, what do I actually own? So NFT detractors will tell you all you own is a piece of code that says you own this particular JPEG, but you don't actually own it. This is another actual old talking point. Once again, this technology moves at such a breakneck speed. Uh, people will tell you the NFT image is housed on a page. And if that link gets broken, your NFT it disappears because uh, the ledger can't properly point to where the NFT lives. This has actually already been solved. There already actually been protections um 
to solve this issue because once again, technology keeps advancing. For some reason, people think that it stays bad all the way through. Mistakes are good. People bringing up inefficiencies are, are good because then that means that we can fix them, right? Some say you don't own the item, you own the receipt. And it makes it sound bad, but I like it because it's actually a perfect description. It actually is a perfect description of NFTs. You own the receipt, not the item. And it's actually a good way to look at it. Some people use that term because they think it makes it sound bad, but it's actually a good way to look at it. Let's think about validation throughout human history because I think that's a good way to look at it. Back in the days, towns were small, right? Items and land could be bartered publicly and the rest of the town was there to validate it. So if, if 12 people lived in my village, once a week we would meet up and I would say, hey, I'm giving Harry one cow and Harry is giving me three chickens. The other 10 people in my village saw it. They are my validators, right? Our collective verification means that next week when we meet again, Harry can't say, hey guys, I have a problem. Joel owns me two cows. I gave him three chickens, but he only gave me one cow. Now I can turn to those 10 people in my village and go, guys, we agreed on one cow. And there are, they are there to validate for me and say, yep, yep, that's what happened, right? The documents were introduced, family seals. The point being that ownership was verified by an outside entity or a construction, right? Without that, verification is really up to our own memory. If someone comes into my... um house and says like and i tell them they say oh you have red dead redemption 2 and say yeah finished it you want to borrow it you can borrow it man just when you finish it give it back and they go okay cool let's say four months later i go to that person i say bro what happened to my red dead redemption 2 like um yeah did you finish it like what's, what's going on oh yeah bro i finished it. i sold it you sold it what do you mean you sold it i let you borrow the game the game is mine what do you mean you sold it Imagine if that person that says, no, you said, take it. I distinctly remember we were in the room. I talked to you about Red Dead Redemption 2. And you said to me, you said, oh, cool, dude, just take it. It's yours. No, I said, but you got to understand the back and forth. But what if there was just one other person in that room? Now I can bring this person in to validate and say, hey, you were there. Remember the when he asked about Red Dead? And then that other person goes, oh, yeah, I remember. He asked to borrow it. You said, yeah, you could borrow it. Just bring, give it back to... Okay, so validation has existed in so many different um, forms. But the thing about ownership of an NFT is you have to think about it the same as the current way you own anything, did anything else digital that you don't hold in your hand. I think that's the best way to explain your connection to an NFT and why you are the owner of that NFT, Okay. You can't physically, I can't physically hold my Twitter account. I can't hold at WeAreJoel, but it's my account, right? I can tell people I own this account. I can't physically hold WeAreJoel, right? But there's a system in place that lives on a server somewhere, a form of validation that connects to my identity via a password, two-factor authentication for me to prove my identity and prove that I own it. That means I don't own at We Are Joel. I technically own a receipt that says I own We Are Joel. 
if I have $10,000 in cash underneath my shoebox, I can say I own $10,000 because I can hold it in my hand. Does that mean that if I tell someone I have a credit card that links to an account, that account holds $10,000, does that mean I don't have $10,000 because I can't hold it in my hand? No, because there is a validation system. There is a ledger. There's a verification process where I can prove my identity on a surface level. It's a pin code. It's a password. Then there are other ways, uh, signatures, uh, proof of date of birth, uh, proof of that, you know, all these different ways that I can tell the bank. Yeah, this is mine. My card though is not $10,000. My card is essentially my receipt that proves that I own those $10,000. Credit cards, once again, when they were first introduced in the 50s, American Express's first ever credit card was a piece of cardboard. It was just a piece of cardboard. It had an account number written on it. It had your first and your last name, and it had a signature. That was the verification process. And maybe, you know, they also had on file, on paper, your date of birth, maybe your mother's maiden name, which is another way for you to prove that John Smith is the John Smith and he has access to this account. Or they would um, look at your signatures and look at how close they are and say like, yep, these signatures are close enough. I can verify that you own this account. I think that's the best way that I can explain how to explain why you own NFTs even though you don't physically hold it in your hand. I, I kind of hope that makes sense. The other thing that I've heard about gaming, turning digital items into NFTs will lead to digital scarcity. Spoiler alert, yes. But digital scarcity already exists in games. This is another thing that I think NFT detractors bring up where they'll say like, bro, is this what you want? Do you want a world where every time a skin goes up, there's only 10,000 of them and everyone's rushing to get it and you can never buy it again? But that currently exists in the certain system. We have digital scarcity. There are limited editions that have skins that you can only get through the limited edition. There are GameStop swords. There's swords and guns in game that I can only get if I pre-order at GameStop. Digital scarcity still exists right now. The thing about it is that when it comes to scarcity, it's not something that um, companies do just to do it's it's done because there's a net positive effects to uh, effect to creating scarcity there was a video of keanu reeves where he laughed at that at, at the idea of digital scarcity oh you know making something scarce if you can instantly reproduce and it, it on the surface it's kind of funny it's kind of true like damn you know you can make these forever like why wouldn't you just print them forever like that doesn't really make any sense at all. But the same can be said about the physical world, right? The Ben and Jerry dunks that Nike made, they can very easily physically reproduce those again. But by doing that, it lowers the value of the original creation of the sneaker. And why do they do this? Because consumers have overwhelmingly accepted this. They paid with their wallets. You know what's one thing that causes Nike to rethink this? An alternative that was introduced called replicas. If more people start buying replicas, 
then Nike realizes, hey, we have to rebalance the system. We have to start reprinting some of these. We have to print them in a little bit larger quantities. Once again, you always have a choice and the consumer will always have the power. But that's really why these things happen. The other way that digital scarcity currently exists is many games implement a rotating shop instead of a perpetual marketplace, right? Fortnite doesn't work like Amazon. I can't search for anything ever listed and hopefully find it. I can't go on Fortnite and, and search every single skin that has ever been available because the shop rotates. Technically, that's digital scarcity. If I introduce a skin in Fortnite, but you only have one week to buy it, and you have no idea when's the next time that it will go back into the shop, that is a form of digital scarcity. It's a marketing tactic. I'm getting you to buy it now. FOMO, fear of missing out because you're afraid because you don't know when this skin or this email is going to come back in. It's a marketing tactic. Now let's put NFTs in the perspective of Fortnite and the current system. Let's just, let's just apply it really simple. Every skin that you buy, you get ownership of. Let's forget about numbered systems like Ubisoft with a number on the helmet. Let's just say every single skin you own, you now have agency over. You are transferred the license to sell. You are transferred the license to transfer, aka trade. I find it very hard to see a problem with that system. And this is what I mean. Because to me, it's wins all around. Right, and this is once again, this is my perspective. If I am a Fortnite player, I am able to sell a skin that I no longer use. Maybe I I know I'm no longer going to want to play Fortnite. I just want to sell all my skins to someone who's just getting into Fortnite. If I do that, I might make a profit because maybe that skin isn't currently available in the store. I might make a loss because maybe not that many people really even wanted that skin. Right. Um. But either way, I'm able to liquidate a bit of my skin because I have agency, I have ownership over it. The buyer who buys my skin wins along with me because now they get a skin that A, is not currently available in the shop or B, was only available for a limited time, a very long time ago. Remember, there are a lot of Fortnite skins where you, you have to buy a Switch to get the Fortnite skin, for example. There are a lot of skins that are rare now, right? And people will pay money for accounts that hold those skins. It's not like stuff like this isn't already happening. It's just a decentralized, much cleaner, better way to do it. Who else wins? Epic wins. Because Epic can then attach a royalty to every sale. Let's say if Epic uh, turns on the switch to allow me to have ownership for my item. But then they say, hey, that means that we're not going to be you know, selling that many of the base item to begin with especially if we're talking about a perpetual item in 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 uh in in gaming we risk losing a little bit of money so we're going to take 10% from that sale is that bad does epic not deserve the 10% for creating this system and allowing it to happen i don't know i kind of feel like it's a win all around one other question I hear a lot is why is there value in digital items? And this is a tough one to understand for a lot of people. Um, gamers nowadays, they're at the age where they're, they live in different stages. You either were born and grew up in a physical only world. This guy right here was born into a physical only world. 
and now you exist in a physical, digital slash virtual world, the hybrid. A lot of people, the longer you lived in the physical only world, the harder it is for you to understand why people would value digital items. And I kind of get that. Like it's much harder for a 75 year old to understand why someone would pay for something digital and anyone younger than you or I is going to be easier. That's really where the graph moves. Your nephews, your nieces, your sons and daughters are living in a hybrid world. And we are inching closer and closer where we spend more time in a digital environment than we do in a physical environment. So it's a lot easier for them to understand the value beyond digital item. And for gamers, they have unanimously agreed that there is value in digital items because they buy skins and guns and digital games left and right, even though they don't own it. <laughs> gamers basically <laughs> told companies, um, hey, so um, we see that, I see you're selling a digital version of this game. I also see that I don't own it. Which means when I pay $50, $60, $70, I lose all my money. It's impossible to liquidate. I can't lend it to a friend, for example. I can't sell it privately. Overwhelming, overwhelmingly, not overwhelmingly, actually, I can't say. But there's a good chunk of gamers that I know a lot of people have switched from physical to digital predominantly. Um, and I'm baffled by it personally. But gamers basically said... I'll, I'll make the trade. They traded convenience for ownership. They said, eh, I'm okay with not owning this skin and, and game. I'm okay with renting it forever. I'm okay that I can't sell it. Because the trade-off is I don't have to drive to GameStop. I don't have to wait two, three, four days for the game to be shipped with me. I'll take the trade, right? That's where we are right now. Um, An overwhelming majority of the things we value as humans are directly attached to our feelings, how it makes us feel. That's where art begins, right? Just because you don't see the value in something doesn't mean no one else should. I hate when people want to tell other people how they should spend their money. It's not your money, my boy. It's okay. It's not your money. You, you do not have an opinion on this. Maybe you might not buy it. Maybe you might not pay this much for it, but I will. Zip it. Digital social value, for example, is a construct that's very real. On Twitter, if I comment about under Ubisoft the NFTs, hey, let's let's be a little bit more open-minded. My comment is lesser than the comment of a person who has ten thousand followers. That person, because I, I barely even have three hundred, that person that has ten thousand dollars, their comment is less valuable than a person with the blue check mark. Why? Why? It's just numbers. That person could have just bought 10,000 robots. Like who even knows if that number is even real, right? You look at their engagement, they got like 100 likes per post. How do you have 10,000 followers and only 100 people are liking stuff? Like, wait a minute, that's kind of, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's a digital construct. That person with the blue check mark him and I could say the same exact thing, the same exact sentence, but that person is more trustworthy than me because they have more followers. So people feel that they're more important. They have a blue check mark. A very, here we go. I'm going to scream into the microphone. A verification system. That's what we're, we keep talking about verification. Do you think that somebody in history has dictated this is true, had access to the Twitter back door and worked for Twitter? 
Do you think that they could sell blue check marks for $1,000 a piece? I would believe they would. <laughs> right? Because that blue check mark has social value. Okay? There are in multiple instances of digital things that we value that don't seem like they should hold value, but they do. Best way for me to explain it, why someone would pay money for a rare digital scan, maybe even hundreds, to equate it with the things you value in the physical world that have no physical application. There's the flex. People that buy Gucci belts don't buy it because they like the leather. They buy it for the logo because when people look at them, they want the impression that they have a lot of money. I'm going to use a physical item in order to hopefully better explain uh, physical value and be able to equate it to a digital version. And I, I know I'm way, I'm like, this is a very long podcast, but I, I hope that it's worth it. And I'm going to use the example to try to roll into the end. We're, we're, we're near the end of this episode, which is talking about, um, uh, excuse me, um, giving you guys a potential examples of how NFTs can be used in gaming. Um, and here, here, here's the example, and I'm going to use a physical one. What I'm holding in my hand is one of my prized physical possessions. This right here is the Grand Theft Auto 4 Key to Liberty City. This was an item that Rockstar introduced when Grand Theft Auto 4 first launched. In order to get this key, you had to be... You had to 100% complete the game within its first week of release. I believe it was in the first week. I think they extended it, but I can't really remember. But it was at least first two weeks. But let's stick with first week. Once the week was over, they validated how many people actually accomplished it, and they made that many keys. I don't know how many of these keys actually exist. I've seen the number thrown around 500. I've seen 1,000. I can tell you right now on eBay, there are only two currently listed and one of these sold last month for $1,000. Someone paid $1,000 to buy this key. If I told that to someone that say, hey, you see this, this key right here? It's, like, it's not even like super duper metal. Someone paid $1,000 for this key. There are people in this world that wouldn't pay $5 for this key. They don't like Grand Theft Auto. They don't play games. They have no connection to the series. If someone asked me, Joel, how much would you sell this key for? I would probably not be able to give you a number right now. There are a lot of people that probably would think I'm crazy for holding something in my hand that has no physical application, right? This key doesn't open a door, right? It's literally just for me to look at and to hold, right? Um, they will probably think I'm crazy for not taking the $1,000 for this. Is Do I have a price on this item? All I can say is it's not two. It's not five. It's probably not even $10,000 that I would give this key up for because of the emotional attachment I have to the key. It's one of, Grand Theft Auto is one of my favorite franchises. Grand Theft Auto 4 is arguably my favorite of the series. I it it when I open it, I look at it, it takes me back. It's nostalgia. It takes me back to the time and the struggle of trying to make this thing happen. Um there's just so much of an attachment that I have to this item. And um I don't think I would sell it for any amount of money. I'm gonna be honest. I don't think that I would. Um 
I would use this as an example to hopefully get you to understand the value in a digital item that is earned through an accomplishment. I earned this. I accomplished it. Anyone can buy this key from me, but it's up to them. They could lie to people and say like, oh yeah, I had to beat that thing from the first week. Or they could just say, yeah, I bought it off a of dude off eBay. Whose key is more valuable? The guy who earned it or the guy who paid for it secondhand? He attached a value to it, but it's much more valuable in my hand because I'm the original owner. I was the person that actually worked to get this. Let me try to equate that to a digital skin. I'll give you an example of a Call of Duty Warzone skin. I coined it the King of Kings skin. Let's say Activision announces a new season of Call of Duty and they say there's a chance to claim an NFT. It's called the King of Kings gun skin. The only way to get the gun skin is to win 10 solo Warzone matches in a row. That's it. It's the only way to be able to get a chance to claim this skin. You have one month to accomplish it or maybe two weeks or whatever. Once it's done and they validated the amount of people that were able to do it, which is instantaneous using a blockchain, the NFTs are then minted and distributed. Let's say at this point, only 100 people were able to do it. That means that 100 of this particular skin will exist ever and forever. Okay. The other cool thing that you could do is you can attach a smart contract to the skin that directly reflects a wall in the Warzone map. So there's this particular point in the map that's underground that there's a wall with a bask of golden light called the King of Kings. And on this wall is the name of every wallet holder that holds this. It's only 100. But here's another cool thing you can do. You can set up a smart contract so that you are incentivized to never sell or transfer that gun skin. Activision can then put in a contract to that skin where the moment you sell it or transfer it to someone, your name is scratched off on the wall. And it happens instantaneously because it's built into a contract. The artists and the developers create a texture that basically will update the wall the moment that you go into another match. Obviously, I don't think it would happen in real time. But the next time you load into the map, you go on the wall, you're going to see Hydro Kitten, his name was scratched off. And you know that this person sold their skin. Fortnite is going on to five years now. Let's say Warzone hits year 10. Let's say somehow Warzone's able to happen in 10, year 10. How different is that wall going to look in 10 years? How dope is that wall going to look when you see how many people never sold the skin, no matter how valuable it is, no matter how much someone else is willing, able to, uh, uh, is willing to pay for it? Now, imagine the excitement you would get playing Fortnite, excuse me, playing Call of Duty and being killed by someone that has that gun. Yo, this guy's the king of king skins. You know how hard it is to get 10 Warzone wins in a row? The blockchain is immutable and it's a public ledger. Call of Duty can create a visual way to connect to it. Just like you can see someone's gamer card and stuff like that and their statistics, I can see your wallet and I can see how you acquired that king of king skin. And I can see that you bought it. Uh, this guy bought it. Second, third, fourth hand, every time it switches hands, it actually gets a little bit less valuable. But someone will, well, the emotional value gets lessened 
the value that you as a player look at it, uh, you can even earn that skin. But there's still a value attached to it, but it will never be more valuable than being in the hands of the original owner and knowing that they never once sold it. I don't know about you guys. That's just one idea. That sounds pretty cool to me. And that's just off the top of my head. Public wallets and blockchains and NFTs are the answer to the question, why not make this happen? This idea happen upon using existing tech and private ledgers. That's one that I hear a lot. Joel, this could be done already. We see Valve doing it with CSGO. Why do we need the blockchain to do this? On top of it being an extremely efficient manner to do this, an extremely trustless and instantaneous way to update and execute smart contracts at scale, um, it becomes way more efficient for gamers because how many gamers play only one game? How many people that you know, and I love using uh, battle royales for analogies because I think there are a lot of cool use cases. I think it's the easiest way uh, to explain some use cases. How many people you know only play one battle royale, right? You play Fortnite, you play Apex, you play Pub, you play Call of Duty, you play Apex, you bounce back and forth. If there was a, a system implemented that, let, let's say gamers were cool with this and they go, damn, Joel, that's a good idea. I'm down with NFTs, but I think, why can't Call of Duty do it on their own network, their own data centers, a private ledger, and Apex have their own private ledger? And EA, you know, EA has their own private ledger. Activision has a Epic has their own private ledger. You know what that's equivalent to? That's like if you bought something at Best Buy, you can only sell it at Best Buy. And then what you bought at Target, you can only sell at Target. Like I have to physically go back to that one store in order to find someone to buy my item. If I buy something from GameStop, I have to trade it inside a GameStop. That's what you're wanting by um omitting the power of the blockchain. The power of it is having everything into a wallet accessible and viewable at one time, okay? You want to be able to show off your skins uh, across games, not just a single one, right? Public wallets will become what I call the new social currency. This is just my viewpoint. Maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't, but this is what I think will happen. The same way that you can learn a lot through someone by scrolling through their Instagram, wallets are going to be the same in the future. Everyone is going to have a wallet. Everyone's going to fill it up with NFTs of different companies and different things that they've accomplished, earned, bought, and sold. And people will use it as a way to trade social currency. That's how that's how that's how like dating is in the year 2022, right? Even like on, on Tinder and most of these sites, people link their Instagrams or you hear about a, a, a woman or a man that you want to potentially go on a date with. Social thing is a total blind date in the year 2022, right? Go to their Instagram, you go to their Facebook and you learn. Pictures of their family, oh, they're a family person. Oh, wow, look at, look at, they're taking plates of dishes that they made. They're a chef. Uh, this, that, like you can learn a lot. It's going to be the same with wallets as gamers are going to be like, damn, this person really grinds in Call of Duty. They really put their thing in. Damn, but they're also good at Apex Legend. Oh, they play this game. They like that game. Oh, they got this. Oh my God, they got that skin. I remember you can only get that skin if you attended this event in the year 2012. It's going to happen. I I think that will also be a way to validate authenticity. You know, if I'm posing in front of a Lambo wearing a Rolex, people are going to go into my wallet and say, 
bro, you don't have the Lamborghini NFT. You don't have the Rolex NFT. That's fake. The other thing is that, um, you know, your wallet can exist as a way where you can persistently see every item that you have collected across games, which means that maybe I'm on Discord and I'm in a gaming Discord for a streamer or whatever, and I see someone else's wallet because they have it connected, and I notice they have an Apex Legends gun skin that I want. I can then communicate to that person and say, bro, look at my wallet. Is there anything you're willing to trade for that Apex lit? Yo, you have these two Battlefield gun skins that I've really wanted. Would you be willing to trade two Battlefield gun skins for one Apex? That's why you would want this on a public blockchain. And then, of course, there can be royalties attached. Every time something moves, EA can get a percentage out of it. That is potential, but... Once again, it can. That, that's why you would want it to happen. Some NFT lovers say this will lead to inoperability within games. So if I own the NFT to a Master Chief helmet, I can wear it in Assassin's Creed. No. <laughs> I laugh whenever this is brought up. This is something like that NFT bros like to bring up. You know, like, bro, you know what I'm saying? It's going to be dope. You can have a Master Chief helmet, you know, uh, while, you know, playing Mario Brothers. No. No, that's that's... That's one of those things that, man, at scale, you're talking about something that's very difficult to implement and is not even super beneficial. Can partnerships happen? Yeah, cross-game. Maybe you own an, an NFT in, in Battlefield that gets you something in Apex Legends, for example. Maybe that might happen. Maybe it might happen in Ubisoft, where Ubisoft says that, you know, some gloves you got in Rainbow Six you can use in The Division. That's possible. Um... And geez, I'm sorry, I know it's about to be two hours, but uh, let me just wrap this up by going after some other ideas that I came up with off the top of my head um, of potential future uh, for NFTs in gaming. Smart contracts could be attached to skins that cause them to change and become what I call risk averse, which I think is this is I think this is an awesome idea. Maybe there's a shirtless skin that's introduced into Call of Duty Warzone, and the skin is basically like a Killmonger skin. And the way the skin works is that every time you drop into a Warzone match with that skin, if you win the round of Warzone, meaning you're the last person standing, the contract gets updated, a new block is created, and your character gets a mark on their body. You know how Killmonger has marks for every kill? Your skin updates every time you win a Warzone match. But you can also add into the contract that you risk your NFT every time you do this. What this means is that if you were to play with that skin, but you lose that round of Warzone, your skin resets to zero. So let's say you have 10 marks on your, on your, on your skin. And same thing for a gun. Maybe the gun is like just like scratch marks on it. Let's say you have 10 of those and you play a Warzone match using that skin and you lose the smart contract updates and now you lose all of that those marks. Now you introduce a skin that is evolved through gameplay and one where it's like you're taking a risk. You you only want to use this skin when you're when you're on a hot streak, when you feel confident that you can actually win one time, right? 
Um, and I know some people might hear this stuff and be like, oh, Joel, but what about hackers? Hackers are going to... Yes, like I said, any argument can be destroyed. I'm just trying to give out some ideas here, right? Um, another idea is a skin that changes through positive actions, a skin that evolves depending on how many players you revived. Maybe how active and helpful you are in the community Discord. Maybe your wallet is attached that way. Um, there is an NFT. This this is where I got this idea from. There was this NFT that was like for a fitness kind of NFT. And the more you were active in the Discord, the bigger your NFT got. So your NFT got like more buff visually. And yes, once again, the the the, the negative of this, people are gonna be like, oh, you know, you can just spam stuff in the Discord. Like, look, man, it's just an idea. I'm just talking about version one. It could be perfected, right? Um, so. Another example is card games, where each card is an NFT is an idea. Uh, you can sell out your whole deck if you decide to never play it uh, anymore. Another thing that you can do is if you have agency over a deck, you can rent it. Maybe you hear about a new card game that you are interested in, but you don't know if you want to invest that much time into it. Look for a deck that's already completed and tell that person, hey, I'll pay you $5 for me to rent this deck. That will allow me to play three matches with the deck um, or hold it for three days. That's the contract. Whichever comes first, either three matches or 72 hours. At that point, the uh, NFT then goes right back to the original owner. And I just made five bucks. There's one idea. So just like microtransactions, I feel like NFTs are just going to, they're going to be good and bad ways to use this tool. Here's uh, a good example that I think is actually kind of cool. And, and just just hear me out. Uh, it's, it's play to earn, but not pay to play to earn. And it it's the reintroduction of the loot box. Hear me out, though. <laughs> okay. Here's an idea of a system that is beneficial for where you put the player at the center and the creator, the developer, and the player um, have a shared benefit of this type of system. And it's a play-to-earn system. So let's put it like this. I'll use Halo Infinite as an example. Let's say Halo Infinite introduces card packs that act like loot boxes. You open them, you don't know what's inside. Here's the thing, though. It's You cannot buy these cards. You cannot buy packs. You can't pay real money. You can't, pay, you can't buy them in Halo points. Okay, this is key. It's very key to the play-to-earn model to introduce a model where you are not paying to enter into the potential to earn. So here's an example. There's only two ways that you can get a card pack, or maybe there are multiple ways. Maybe it's along the battle passes. Maybe you get a free pack every day. Maybe you get a pack every time you level up. As a player, I am being rewarded for doing what I've always done. I'm being rewarded for playing the video game. That's it. That's what's happening in that, in that scenario. Okay, let me flesh this out. Inside those packs are gun and player skins, some rarer than others, that cannot be bought from the in-game store. This is key. They have to be exclusive to these packs. But each one is an NFT that can be sold. The interesting thing is that Guns can be constructed from different pieces. This is how a lot of NFTs are done nowadays. You draw a bunch of eyes, different mouths, different skin color, different hats, different backgrounds. 
and you plug them into a system with different percentages and you randomize it. So imagine battle rifles that are randomized. The trigger could be a different texture and a different color. The back could be a different color. The front could be a different color. You can you might have a decal. You might not have a decal. You might have a decal on one side, maybe on both sides. Right? The overall texture of uh, the gun. Is it a matte finish? Is it a shiny finish? Is, is it see-through? Is it Does it look like it's made of plastic or whatever, right? Does it is it glass? Is it ice blue? Is it red? The thing about introducing a system like this is that inherently we will value each gun differently depending on the rarity traits. How rare is it to have a moving flame, for example, on top of aesthetically, aesthetically, what skin looks pretty cool to me? So let's say you're playing and you get a roll of a battle rifle that has is ice blue, has an image of Cortana on the side, has a charm of Cortana. And you go on the marketplace and you realize you have the only gun that has that combination. It's like predominantly Cortana. Now you have value in that skin. Okay. You can sell it, you can trade it. Three for three gets 10% of every skin sold. In this way, Three for three, you're rewarding your players for just playing the game. That's it. The other thing is that you can't cheat the system. Okay? You can't just step in, not give a fuck about Halo, and just start buying up a bunch of packs just to make money. Okay? Uh, there is no way to pay more to get boxes or cards faster. That's an important part of this model. Three for three is then rewarded because players will spend more time on Halo since there's a chance to make money. And they get a percentage of every skin sold. And every single time that skin is transferred, they get 10% in perpetuity forever. That to me is a mutually beneficial system. Heck, 343 can even put a gate up where you have to, the only wallet that can acquire. Uh, actually, you know what? I'm going to be honest. I'm not sure if that's possible. Maybe it might be possible. Maybe you have to be a Halo player to buy the skin in order to prevent people from being whales and just buying skin secondhand in order to list them at a higher price. I said there are going to be good and bad ways to implement it, but a lot of people are going to buy skins because of the way it makes them feel. No matter what, when we talk about buying and selling items with a physical or digital, there are going to be people that are going to buy stuff inherently because they think it will be worth more in the future. I sort of look at it as like that's, I'm not going to say it's not your problem, but it is something that has to be thought about. How do you stop people from acquiring like thousands of skins at one time? Um, and that's kind of one way to that's something that has to be thought about, right? But I think that in this system, it's sort of beneficial. Why would anyone pay for a digital skin? It's a scarcity flex, okay? It's already happening. In Halo Infinite, <laughs> Halo Infinite launched a bunch of physical items that you, that you buy that you get access to skins that are not sold. Those skins are currently being sold for about $170, $150, $130 a pop for a skin that you could get by buying a Razor Mouse. A gun skin, people are paying 140, 150. I'm talking about a hundred sales within the last month. That's a lot. There is a market here. 
and there is a potential to create a play-to-earn opportunity where we both benefit, publisher slash developer and player. Is that to say that every single company is going to create a play-to-earn opportunity that's like this? Probably not. Probably not. But I'm just saying, like, this is a good potential way to do play-to-earn. Um, other applications, I'm going to try to go rapid fire because I know I'm way over time right now. A new way for creators to crowdfund games. You can crowdfund your games using NFTs. Use smart contracts. They replace Kickstarter tiers. Why would you do this instead of Kickstarter? Kickstarter takes 5%. That doesn't include payment processing fees. I, as a person that's supporting Koji Igarashi's new project, um, I know that I'm giving Koji and his team the maximum amount of my contribution. That's a plus. Kickstarter is currently investigating blockchain. Why are they doing it? Because they need to, because they see the writing on the wall. In this way, fans can become the new publishers. Sounds crazy, but once you really think about it, it is possible. Because if I am Koji Ikarashi, I can use smart contracts to consistently reward early investors that believed in my game from the beginning. As long as you hold my token, every month you get a percentage of the sales from the game that month. In perpetuity, forever, as long as you hold that token. Maybe at some point, Koji Ikarashi... This new game is picked up by Netflix as an animated series. As Koji Igarashi, I can tell my fans, you guys are my day ones. Guess what? I'm giving you guys a percentage of that licensing deal. In this way, creators and supporters can mutually benefit. Of course, the ability to buy and sell, trade, buy, sell and trade little uh, digital games. This is already happening. Robot Cash is a site supported by AMD. They currently take 5%. You can sell your games back for 25% of the original value, whether you bought it by a credit card or using their currency called Iron. They have up to 50 partners, over 700 games. Devs take 95% of the initial sale, 70% on resale. Maybe there comes a day that I can transfer my NFT license for Red Dead Redemption 2 to a friend so they can borrow it. Maybe in the middle, Rockstar says, I'm going to take 5% for you to, uh, excuse me, I'm going to take a dollar for you to do that. At least the option is there. It's better than the current system, right? Um, This was the first generation where two of the big three systems, excuse me, uh, platforms shipped the console without a drive. Digital adoption and digital libraries that 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 you can do nothing with are going to only get worse. Here's another idea for the blockchain and the fact that it has to be public and immutable and not live on a bunch of private ledgers where I need seven different logins. A virtual armory is one idea I came up with. Since you have the rights to display your item, someone can create a virtual version where you can display every single NFT gun skin you've ever owned, every physical skin across any game, and create a museum that you can have others virtually walk through. Um, maybe you could click on a gun and it shows stats for that gun. Maybe that gun is linked to a Twitch clip where I got, you know, four headshots in a row with it or something like that. Um, you know, just potential. Uh, one day, this is one of my favorite ones right here. One day, uh, shoot, I lost it. I'm going to scroll back to it. Uh, one day your favorite esports player and team will use skins and guns and play out of their mind and will raffle that skin off to fans or sell them with proceeds going to challenge to charity. You know why? Because it's the digital equivalent of giving a fan your jersey after the game. The same is going to happen to streamers. Streamers are going to excuse, uh, excuse me, fans and supporters are going to find value in the the, the sniper skin 
that or the skin that Dr. Disrespect used to play out of his mind to get 40 kills in one single Warzone match, for example. Um, it's going to happen. You don't think that there's value in that. There's a current system where people pay streamers $20, $25 just to announce their name out loud and acknowledge them as a form of support. This is going to happen. Um, the two most recent examples in the industry have been Ubisoft Quartz and Stalker. And I think the, the reactions to them personally have been more about perspective. If you approach it with the mindset of this is bad, you're going to find what you're looking for. The Stalker drop was bad. I'm not defending the Stalker devs. That was a bad, it was just bad all around. It was implemented in bad faith. They were asking fans to pay to be scanned into the game. Hold on a second. So you want me to pay you for you to put me into your game. And you're saying that you were going to do it via three auctions. Not like a raffle, right? It's auctions. Meaning that if enough people are bidding up this opportunity, there's a potential uh, scenario where I pay you to put me into your game and you will profit once you take away the expense of flying me out to get scanned. No. The other thing was that that's a perfect example of, well, here's something you can just, you can use eBay to do that, my guy. You don't need NFTs to do this. Uh, the other mistake that they made, they could not explain why fans should get excited. If you can't explain why people should be excited about something, you don't do it. Ubisoft. Ubisoft's mistake with Quartz, in my opinion, was more timing and not execution. And people need to understand this was essentially a beta test. They actually did a couple things right. It was pretty well thought out. It ran on Tezos, top three energy efficient teams. It was a free drop. That was important. You didn't have to pay to claim it. Uh, a percentage is not attached to post sales. From the, from the uh, research I was able to look into, they are not making money post sale. Uh, usually NFTs, the creator will attach 2.5, 5%, 10%. Any time that moves in perpetuity forever. It's just the contract, the way it's written, uh, which is why for digital art, this is a big deal. Um, so from my perspective, Ubisoft has not taken a cut from the research I was able to do. I might be wrong, though. There were parts of this drop that detractors will tell you is bad, but if you were to stop and think about it for a second, you would notice it kind of isn't. Uh, you had to be an active player to claim them. That was one where, for me as an anti-enthusiast, I went, wow. I even think about this. This is actually a good solution to the system. In order to claim them, you had to link your Ubisoft account to ensure you couldn't claim multiples, right? I guess you could technically claim multiples for the gun digit because you had to just get to level five, which, I mean, that would mean I would have to buy like 10 copies of Ghost Recon and play each of them up to level five. I mean, maybe some people did that. I don't know. I haven't looked. Here's a public blockchain. You can see if someone actually did that. Uh, I don't know. Wait, actually, no, no, no. I'm wrong about that. Unless they consolidate all of them into one wallet, you wouldn't know. Uh, the helmet, you have to play over 600 hours. The pants, you have to play over 100 hours. Two perspectives to this. The Kotaku perspective. T they told readers, people are going to leave their PCs running for 600 hours straight in order to rack up playtime and claim these. They did change that afterwards. That equals 25 days. 100 hours is over four days straight. People who are into this for money that just want to buy something and flip it, that this isn't worth it. It's not worth the time to be actively trying to play a game, even if it's you just moving the mouse every 10 minutes. It just doesn't make any sense. Also, there are a lot of parameters in the future that you can put in place to prevent something like that. Here's the actual benefit. 
This combined with it being attached to an account means that gamers who actually play the game are the ones that are going to be able to claim these. So people who don't actively play the game can't swoop in, buy or mint dozens, and sell them for a profit. You can continually update the parameters of entry as time goes on. It's actually a really good idea to make sure that the people that are into the ecosystem, people that are predominantly going to use this uh, skin and these items are the ones that are able to claim them. It's actually not a bad idea. This can also, actually, this is like a throwaway. It can actually also help with scalpers for real life items. What if to claim the Xbox fridge and have an opportunity to buy it, I had to prove that I'm an Xbox gamer based upon an NFT that is claimed based upon how many hours I've played Xbox Series X. And maybe it cascades down from there. Wave one is you'd, you have to be an active player. You have to play your Xbox every single day. That's the only way you will have the opportunity to claim this fridge. Uh, and obviously, you can see the potential for a bunch of other real-life stuff. Halo Inf and Infinite NFTs can allow holders priority access when Halo Reach 2's limited edition is released. Just one idea. People are currently criticizing the poor resales of the Ubisoft digits and are completely missing the point of all of this. Because the digit represents a brand new tech. Um, they're implementing a game that isn't really popular. It's it's a beta test for Ubisoft. They don't care if they sell. They they don't care if, if even 6,000 people didn't claim them. Right now, they're just gathering data. And in my opinion, they actually did it in not a horrible way. It could have been worse, to be honest with you guys. Um, uh, and then obviously, people who wanted this had ample opportunity to claim it for free. So there's obviously not going to be that much of a secondary market. Some I, I, I notice on Twitter and YouTube are mocking Ubisoft and say, ah, look at you, you bunch of idiots. You guys went through all this and the total volume is like 300 bucks in terms of buying and selling. Don't you guys feel stupid? You bunch of idiots. You wasted all this time, research and development. Um, and I just sit back and I laugh at it. And the reason why I laugh at it is like, the point is just going right over your head, guys. It's going right over your head because you just want to hate this so bad. You want this to fail. You you hate Ubisoft. And trust me, I understand the hate for Ubisoft. I'm not trying to say that Ubisoft is not a greedy company. But the point is going over your head. People, this is this was a play-to-earn opportunity. People that have been playing Ghost Recon for the within the two years that has been released have just been rewarded for playing this game because only they could claim it and then now they can sell it even if you sell it just for 20 bucks you just got rewarded 20 dollars just for playing a game that you love and yes i get it a lot of people are joking like oh you know only five people are playing ghost recon i fucking hate that shit there's people who don't it doesn't matter how bad you think a game is people still play it every day because they love it don't fucking try to gatekeep shit and say, oh, this game is trash. No one's playing it. Fuck you. Like, people are playing it, man. Don't be a bunch of dicks about it. Um, and here's the kicker that I think is, is going to be interesting in the future. And I'm going to laugh if this happens. And I, and I hope it does. And I can clip this and use it in the future. Uh, Ubisoft can add value to these NFTs over time. Remember, they can update the smart contract. Okay, the, it's not like the smart contract can remain the same forever. I'll give you an example. Let's say Ubisoft announces a new Ghost Recon. Let's say, remember that Battle Royale thing? You remember the one that the public caused Ubisoft to not go through with? 
you know, proving my case, the public has power, that one. Let's say Ubisoft says, you know what, guys, we heard you guys, we're making a true tactical Ghost Recon. We're going back to our roots, right? Let's say they make that announcement. They say, uh, after this announcement, anyone who who holds the Ghost Recon digit, any of those 3,000 people, we would like to invite you into a Zoom call. You just connect your wallet to verify you hold this digit. Um, and we're going to invite you to a, a Zoom call to discuss with the developers how we feel. It is going to be private. It's not going to be public. We're asking people not to record it. It's something just for you guys to reward you guys that, you know, um, you know, redeemed those Ghost Recon things from the very beginning. Ooh, that changes the game, right? Now they're increasing the value of that original NFT. What if those 3,000 digit holders, when the game comes out, they have access to not only just move that, that, that helmet, but maybe they get other skins that are only available to them because they supported NFTs from the very beginning. What if those people get priority access to a closed alpha? Ooh. Now we're not laughing at those digits going for only $25 in the market. What do you think happens then? What do you think happens if if uh, Ubisoft says, whoever's holding this Ghost Recon NFT at this date, February 22nd, 2024, you have access to a closed alpha. And then after we're gonna have discussion with the developers, we're gonna take your feedback. Does the value of that NFT increase? I would like to say it is. Now it's not so funny. Now the helmet that you said I was stupid for buying, now you're going to want this helmet, right? Because it gives you access to the closed alpha. Now, obviously, this is all theoretical. But the reason why I bring this up is because it is a reason for me to tell, to, 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 to relay to you that companies can continue adding value to NFTs. It can happen. Will it happen? Who knows? I'm just talking about the potential. Um, I want to wrap this up. <laughs> I know it's like <laughs> two hours and a half. With all this being said, Ubisoft should not have done this, in my opinion. Not a single AAA publisher or developer should be implementing NFTs right now. No, absolutely not. Even though I'm an NFT enthusiast, I understand that there's way too much negativity surrounding this right now. And to me, the way that I look at this is I don't care if I'm right. I don't care if I'm wrong. I don't care if 10 years from now, people want to bring up this podcast episode and say, see, Joel, you thought that... NFTs were going to be part of gaming. We said no, it didn't happen. I care more about being open-minded about this. And it's like, if you want to call me a dreamer for looking at potential scenarios instead of negative ones, then okay. All right. Um, I think that right now, no company should be even touching this. Ubisoft's own employees don't even understand why they're doing this, right? Um, they can use all the buzzwords they want, you know, you now, you can own your NFTs. It's going to open up all these opportunities. Oh, yeah, Ubisoft, what opportunities? You know, bro, opportunities, man. <laughs> like, if you can't explain to me properly that, no, this is never going to work, right? You have to be able to explain why this is mutually beneficial. This is why I think should happen. I think developers should use GDC as a vehicle to discuss NFTs. And maybe you have developers that come up with potential applications for this. Maybe there's a part of it that talks about energy efficiency and how a lot of companies are being very cognizant of it. For example, they need right now, developers need to get into education mode. 
not into implementation mode. I think this is a tool just like any other. Some of you are going to some of you are going to use it purely for profit. Other will use it to create a mutual benefit and put players in the center. Right? Uh, I don't have all the answers. I'm still learning. Like I said, this is changing all the time. But I think there are some cool opportunities with this. Um, I'll end it with this statement. If you're in the middle of a crowd and the crowd decides to move in a particular direction, if you make the choice of standing your ground and trying to sit there or try to go against the crowd, you're going to get crushed. You're better off moving along with the crowd and keeping an open mind. And the reason why is because blockchain is Pandora's box. The box has been open. It will never be closed. It just will never be closed. So I feel like you're better off having an open mind. Because right now, if you see someone on Twitter say, I will never support a company that uses blockchain ever, then I hope you enjoy living in the woods. Because every single technological company on the face of the earth is researching and developing on the blockchain. Because this is where the attention is moving. You know what this is the equivalent to? Do you guys remember how late um, companies were to social media? Have you noticed that like in the last, just like the last few years, Companies have finally understood how to use social media. They finally understood that you're not supposed to sell stuff on social media. How many times does Wendy's tell you, hey guys, try our new bacon cheeseburger? How many times do you go on TikTok? I love like uh, Scrub Daddy, which is a sponge. They don't make TikToks and say, hey guys, let's talk about my newest sponge. No, they go on trends. They, they laugh. They show their employees having fun. And then the next time you go to Walmart, you go, oh, Scrub Daddy. That's a sponge from TikTok. They had some funny shit on there. Brand recognition. I'm going to buy this sponge. It took companies a long time to understand how social media works. They're finally getting it. You're not supposed to sell stuff on social media. It's about brand recognition, the mutual benefit. Ah, I want to hear about your cheeseburger. Yeah. Oh, but Wendy's dunking on Burger King. Uh, yeah, that's funny, man. Then you drive by Wendy's. Hey, I want some Wendy's because it gives you positive sentiment. This is companies learned and they see all this attention. And even if it fails, they go, we can't do what we did with social media and the Internet say this is a fad. No, they got to pay attention. Um, if you're tweeting that you hate the blockchain, you support the blockchain because Twitter supports the blockchain. You're better off moving with the crowd. It's like if you're a gamer and say and say you're boycotting Amazon. Good luck. 90% of the world's biggest gaming companies use Amazon Web Services for their servers. They had an outage like last week. Destiny 2 was affected. I think the PlayStation Store was affected. Xbox. I mean, Epic Game Store I know for sure was affected. 90%. You have to dig deep. So if you want to sit there and say, I don't support blockchain... You better move into the woods. If not, don't tell me that you don't support the blockchain because you do if you're using these products. So I want to end this by saying, keep an open... I, I learned this from a YouTube video I saw. Keep an open mind, but not so open that your brain falls out. I love that term because that's really the way that I look at it. I keep an open mind, but not to the point where I'm going to sit here and defend Axie Infinity and tell you, no, man, it's, it's not, a, it's not a, a pyramid scheme. No, it's a, it's a pyramid scheme, my guy. Yeah, it, it is. Okay. I'm not, my brain hasn't fallen out to the point where I say pay to play to earn is, is amazing. Let's do it. It hasn't fallen out to the point where I'm going to sit here and say, like, guys, no companies are going to use this the wrong way, guys. Come on. Come on. I'm being realistic about it. 
but I'm being very open-minded about it. If you take anything away, and Jesus Christ, if you made it through two hours and a half, I love you. But if you take anything away from this, take away uh, keeping an open mind. Don't walk away from this saying, Joel, you convinced me. Walk away from this, and hopefully I would love if you guys shared this, but share it with the context of the points that were brought up and the way Joel, the perspective that Joel gave me on this situation um, fueled me to learn more and ask more questions and keep an, a little bit more of an open mind. That's what I want you guys to do. Uh, don't don't stand on either side. And remember, the wall is a chain link fence. It's not, it's not a, a wall, I guess, whatever. Um, Jesus, thank you guys. Shout out to anyone who made it this long, even if it took you, you had to pause it and in order to watch the whole thing, listen to the whole thing. Um, thank you for anyone that uh, sat by and, and, and listened to this whole thing. Um, thank you guys so much for joining me. Please follow us. And there, there are no releases, no wrap it up. Well, I've talked enough. Follow us on Twitter and YouTube at Cam Koji. You can follow me on Twitter at WeAreJoel if you have more questions or want to talk about this. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Uh, and I will see you guys all next week. Thank you so much.